This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. For many of us, this is the first time in three days that we are back to work. Uh, that's right. Hopefully you had a, a great Memorial Day weekend, uh, had a chance to relax a bit, had a chance to uh, unwind a bit. And, of course, I hope you uh, did spend some time remembering the incredible sacrifice that uh, the men and women that have died in the service of our country have made over the course of the history of this country. I was yesterday, the place where I usually am, I'll give you some more details about it in uh, in a minute, but I was at the Memorial Day Parade on Staten Island on Forest Avenue, and I usually am there just about every year. And I remember about 17 years ago, a fellow that walked in that parade behind me was greeted like a, a conquering hero in that part of Staten Island because folks said that he was going to rescue the Democratic Party in New York from some of the extremists. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? And maybe even rescue New York City from an out-of-touch billionaire. Now, he didn't end up becoming mayor, but uh, his time in the public spotlight was only going to get brighter and uh much more pronounced from that point on. That person was former Democratic congressman, former two-time Democratic candidate for mayor, Anthony Weiner, uh, who is our newest colleague here at 77 WABC as the host of the Anthony Weiner Show, Saturday afternoons at 2 p.m., and I am just thrilled that he's agreed to join me at 1 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. It's great to be here. You know, I've heard a great deal about the show. I have to confess... I frequently am listening to it in podcast form or listening to it on the Red Apple Podcast Network. But being up here and seeing all of the gang here at WABC, it's great to be here. And I've heard, uh, you know, I, I listen to your show as kind of an example of a how-to do radio. No and wonder so you're struggling so much. It is great to be here. It's great to be here. And and I'm a bit jealous of you being out on the rock for the uh, Memorial Day Parade. It was, it's a great parade. And they really do take it very seriously. And it's a combination of existing men and women who are in uniform, but they also always keep in mind what Memorial Day really is. It's supposed to be kind of a very meaningful day for us. And even more so now than ever, because, you know, as we have these pitch fights politically, mm -hmm. we all should keep in mind that the reason that we have the ability to do that is that our democracy is strong and that our country is strong. And that is because of the sacrifice of so many. But it's really, I'm, I'm excited to be here and also excited 
to have um, to have a program here on WBC. As you know, Curtis and I have been doing a program for the next last three months or so, left versus right. And uh, he's another person who's a real New York institution. I've learned a lot about radio from listening to him and by being on the show with him. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Well, that's wonderful. As you've, the, I've seen the ratings. They're through the roof. So congratulations on that. We are going to take calls throughout the hour if people want to call in. Uh, and, again, if people disagree with anything Anthony's saying, not that he needs me to protect him, you know, disagree politely. You don't have to uh, scream or anything. And that goes for people on the left and the right, by the way. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So it sounds like you're really enjoying this so far. Well, I am. I mean, I'm doing things – you know, I'm trying to do a couple of things at once. You know, and one, I, I recognize that we are here at WABC a right-leaning audience, but we're also, I think I have this theory. The theory of my case is, and you've heard me describe it and people who listen to the show have heard this before, is that we sometimes chase our tail pursuing mm. the viewpoints of the far left and the far right. And that's true within the parties. Our Democratic Party is, I think, largely concerned about a primary from the left and the AOC wing of our party, which I would probably say back in my day when I was in Congress would probably say I was one of those progressives. Mm-hmm. But now the party has moved a great deal. And it's also true on the on the right, where Republicans seem very, very concerned about the 10 percent who are on their far fringe. But I think the show that I'd like to do is to talk to the other 80 mm-hmm. percent, the people who are strongly partisan but open to new ideas and open to having debates. So, and I think that's a, a laudable goal, and I try and do that to some extent uh, on on this show you as do. well. But when, you, how do you, with that goal in mind, to talk to the eighty percent, not the twenty percent on either side of the spectrum that are unpersuadable, and some would say their critics would say irredeemable. How do you find the solo hour that you're doing from two to three? versus the hour with Curtis that you're doing three to four. Which do you find uh, better serves the furtherance of that goal? Well, they they both do so in different ways. When I do an hour, what I've striven, strove, what do we say at 1 o'clock in the morning when you're trying to find your vocabulary? (laughs) What I strive to do... I I, I strive for a synonym. (laughs) what What I strive to do is to take an issue that has been reduced to a hot take or a bumper sticker throughout the week. You know, one of the real challenges that you have, and I admire the way you do it, is you've got a lot of time to fill, and very often news is happening in real time. And mm-hmm. We have a great newsroom here that, that will tell us about the news, but you have to comment on it in real time. I, because I'm on at the end of the week, at the beginning of the week, however you, 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 you perceive it, I get a chance to let things marinate a little bit. And what I try to do is I try to go a little bit deeper. If people are talking about the Hunter Biden laptop, I try to really look deeply into it, learn some things about it, able to answer questions, able to have a conversation about it, immigration, uh, the the baby formula shortage, whatever it might be, go much deeper. Then on left versus right with Curtis, we come on at 3 o'clock on Saturdays. There we have conversations that further the debate in another way, in that we show that civility is not completely lost. Mm. We sometimes disagree. Sometimes we agree. What we sometimes are expressions of the notion that in municipal politics or municipal governance, there really is no Republican way to collect the garbage. Like Curtis and I, we've both been candidates for mayor. We understand what it's what it's like to go out and deal with the issues and try to persuade others. And we have a very good relationship. We have for years. So what the other way that I further the debate or we further the debate during that hour is to show that you can have debates. Now, that is uh, that is nice. It's funny. I was listening. My wife's family all lives out on Long Island. And we were listening to you and Curtis, uh, first you solo and then you and Curtis, uh, maybe three or four weeks ago. 
And um, even my wife, who's a pretty tough critic, especially of me, she remarked, uh, boy, you know, Anthony Weiner's really good on the radio. For someone that's never really done this, except as a fill-in and as a guest, uh, you really, I think, are, are doing a good job. And in, in her view, you are as well. Now, I don't have, um, you know, any interest in going through the substance of your your scandals because, you know, you've kind of done it to death on three separate occasions over the course of the last 11 years. I am curious, though, this audience can be tough, right? They're tough on me when I say I vote for a Democrat. Uh, I can imagine, and I know, because when you joined the station, I was inundated with a lot of callers who said, you know, who took issue that you had a conviction for, you know, for a sex crime and things like that. How have the listeners reacted, not necessarily to your politics, but to your scandals and to your criminal history? Do you get the sense that most of the people listening are willing to listen to you as somebody that's paid your dues and learned from your past mistakes? Or do you get the sense that there's a lot of people on the left or the right or non-political that are never going to give you an opportunity because of your previous issues? Well, the short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So you find both? <laughs> to all of those things. I and mean, look, people can look at my things through a lot of different prisms. And to some degree, I'm a Roy Satch test because on one hand, if someone who's dealt with addiction, who's been who's been in recovery for a while... I think a lot of people have experience in their families that are difficult, that are challenging. Um, Some hit bottoms that weren't as low as mine. Some had much worse bottoms than mine. So to some degree, my what I have tried to do, and I have said this a few times when asked about it, you know, the word recovery comes from the notion of going back and recovering the things that you've done, good and bad, and reaching a point where you no longer, you no longer, I guess, regret your past, you will come to understand it and realize that it brought me to this place here today. So a lot of people call with a great deal of empathy about that notion. Some of it even ask, whenever I have conversations about my background and my downfall and my my dealings with mental illness and my family, the board fills up with people who want a little bit more about that. And and I, as I have told the audience, at some point I'll do that as a show just to let people, and maybe this is the time if someone wants to call and ask about that. But I think that if someone says, look, I don't believe in the notion of redemption or I don't believe the notion of paying your dues. One, I, there are many differences between me and other people that you might read about. I never denied responsibility. I accepted responsibility. I pled guilty. I didn't demand a trial. I stood before the bar of justice well, and well, said that it was. never. I mean, early on, you know, well, there was some denial. No, no. Right? Early, oh, denial about yeah. my problems. Oh, for sure. I was in complete denial and misdirection and gaslighting of my wife, of my family, of my public, of my constituents and everything else. But I'm saying that that I reached a point where um, where I basically came to accept it, that I, I, I needed to accept responsibility. And, and I do. And I'm still in the process of making amends, to be honest. And for better or for worse, here I am. And if someone wants to call in and say, look, I don't believe you've done enough or you need to do more. That's a perfectly reasonable position to have. I will say this, though. If you believe in the criminal justice system, if you believe in the notion of doing your time, doing your probation, doing your three years of supervision, doing your time in prison, no one, you know, I, I was found I was found guilty of obscenity. That's perfectly reasonable if you think that was, a, you know, I accept responsibility. But at a certain point, then what? If right, you, it's not a life sentence. Well, yes, if you believe that someone is never entitled to ever see the light of day again or ever be able to work again or walk in the streets. But that's not on me. All I can do is be as transparent and honest about this, and I think that people who have called may have been taken aback by the fact that I'm not running. I'm, if someone believes uh, believes the worst about me, I've given them pl- 
plenty of fodder for that. Mm. I certainly have, Frank. And so if someone wants to, you know, say that I'd let them down, I mean, um, Lydia on, on this on this Statway station, every time I'm on with her, reminds me that Bill de Blasio is the mayor because I screwed up. That's true. I've got to accept responsibility for that, too. But long story short, people can view me through whatever prism that they want. I think that they have found that I'm not – even if they're called up to tell me I'm a jerk, I'll put them on the air and let them say that. Um, and then we got to get on with uh, having a discussion about the issues of the day, and a lot of people want to do that too. We're talking with former Congressman Anthony Weiner. You can hear him every Saturday here at WABC from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. You want to comment on anything that we're talking about, 800-848-WABC. We're going to discuss some politics and some of the big problems that the country, the city, and the state are facing, 800-848-9222. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you go on social media at all these days, but I promoted that you were going to come on today on my Facebook page, and a whole bunch of listeners basically said in words or substance, oh, I'll skip this show, I'll sleep through this one, I'll tune to XYZ Station uh, because you have that such and such on this time around. But I've seen the streaming numbers that you and Curtis are doing, and it's almost leading the weekend. Do you get the sense that a lot of listeners are sort of lying about not listening, that they're, that they're claiming just to sort of be insulting that they're not listening, when in actuality, clearly somebody's listening? Well, I, I don't – I don't. you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's this whole idea of preaching to the choir. You know, to some degree, I think that the people that we're talking to during my show at 2 o'clock and the show I do with Curtis at 3 o'clock, they're the ones tuning in. They're the mm-hmm. ones that are engaged. They're the ones who want to have this conversation. We've seen that people who are not only listening, but they're listening for more for longer blocks of time. But again, it's I've given people lots of reason to say, oh, I've had enough of this guy. Um, but I also, over the course of 25 some odd years in public life, have given people a lot of reasons to believe I have something to say. Uh, I stood for, I, you know, I, I had a job that was that was mentioned in the Constitution of the United States of America. I was a New York City councilman. As you mentioned, I'd run for mayor a couple of times. Um, I don't believe that anyone is only the worst thing that mm. they've, they've done in their life. I've got a lot of experiences to bring to bear on it. And maybe some people are hate listening, Frank. Maybe they are like just I want to listen just so I can gnash my teeth at that guy, Anthony Weiner. But m- m- all I can do is every week give people an opportunity to tune in. And to hear, and I'm not yelling at anyone. I'm not the guy that was was fighting with Peter King on the floor of Congress. I'm a little bit. I think I'm like everyone is. After time, you become different. I've got a lot of experiences under my belt. But as far as who's listening and what experience they're getting, one of the reasons I was eager to join you is it's another audience that mm. maybe I don't get a chance to talk to, and maybe people will judge me differently. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that you know a change from the Anthony Weiner of 2010, and I just rewatched that clip this weekend. And it's funny, if you were to have asked me, and people did occasionally ask me to to describe my opinion of you before your scandal, and even right up until 2013, my response would have been, you know, you're somebody that's incredibly intelligent, that's a, a real fighter. And that's incredibly arrogant. That was always my perception, whether it's uh, right or wrong. Do you do you think that you've been humbled going through this this process, genuinely humbled and maybe not the guy that would uh, I'll use the term grandstand with Peter King on a, on a, in the manner in which you did on the floor of the House of Representatives. Yeah, I mean, I might quibble with the notion of grandstanding. I mean, that was a moment of genuine anger. I was tired. He was tired. And, okay, but that's, that's one issue. But, right, yeah, but click, I, but click I, and clack on I know, NPR. But, oh, right? I, I thought I was excellent on that, actually. Frank. But <laughs> look, I mean, I, I always thought that of all of the odd 
all the odd adjectives to ascribe to a politician. Maybe second in irony only to ambitious is arrogant. I mean, by very d- definition, someone who stands for office, who has the audacity to say, I should represent 750,000 people because I alone have the wherewithal to do it and I'm smarter than ever. Politicians are like that. And I was a politician. I no longer am. But the shorter answer to your, to your question is I am a different person because of these experiences that laid me low. And I think well, I'll leave it to someone else to say whether I'm better or, for, or worse. Sometimes I think, you know, when I have people who stop me in the street and this is we want the old Anthony Weiner back. Well, there's no such thing as the old Anthony Weiner anymore. This is who I am today. And I think it makes me a better person for radio because there's a lot of people on radio who are yelling at you at, the, at this point. Mm-hmm. Our political debate is full of split screens of two people yelling at one another. What I'd like to do this iteration of me has a lot more self-awareness. Um, and I have to admit, when I go back and do what you did this weekend and take a look at old tapes of myself, I cringe a little bit. Not because I was wrong on the issues necessarily, but because I didn't have a sufficient amount of self-doubt that I think would make a better politician. You know, someone who mm-hmm. – and you know, I think probably makes a better talk show host, the ability to say, you know what, you're right about that. Um, but let me just say, say one other thing on that. You know, I would go on. I was very popular not only on the left, left-leaning left TV stations but also on Fox News. And I would always go on Fox News whenever they asked, much to the chagrin of Nancy Pelosi, who was the leader at the time and still is today. And I enjoyed that back-and-forth fighting. But I'll tell you something else. When a producer books you in this modern society to go on as a politician— It's not for a lot of nuance. It's not for nuance, and yeah. it's not— I get it. They don't want to hear that you agree with the other guy. Right. Oh, I get quite it. Quite the opposite. Conflict is what is in, in, in demand, and I provided it in spades. I don't think I was particularly helpful, and I hope hopefully this version of me— whether with the Anthony Weiner show or on Left versus Right with Curtis or coming on this evening with you, I think, frankly, the debate benefits more from that today than the other version. Uh, uh, and that's really the refreshing aspect of uh, of change that from the status quo is that uh, it's okay to say the other guy has a point. Uh, we're going to take your calls in a second. Two open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. And it's actually one of the real reasons that I so admire our boss, John Katsimatidis, because I don't see a lot of other radio stations, and I don't mean to put it this way, but giving someone like you uh, with your public profile an opportunity. If you look at our lineup, and I have no interest in reiterating our whole lineup's array of scandals, but it, we're almost like the... You know, the bad news bears from top to bottom, except for James Golden. I don't think there's one person on our station that hasn't had some degree of public disgrace. And, um, you know, Al Davis from the Raiders made that a a way of of running a successful football franchise. And I think John is doing the, uh, the same thing here. Now, aside from the scandal. I could see a lot of listeners taking issue with your politics, right? Uh, I've known a lot of uh, far left and center left people that have been on this station over the years. The station's always been conservative, but um, these days it definitely seems that uh, a big portion of the audience leans to the right. I, you know, I've seen Ron Kuby try to navigate this. I've seen Richard Bay try and navigate this. Lynn Samuels, a lot, Alan Combs, a lot of others. How have you found it to be? speaking to people that you know, many of whom, disagree with you politically. Have you had to reframe your arguments if you were talking to an MSNBC crowd or something like that? It's a great question. And this is where the difference uh, from me to those other people you listed is that for years, for seven terms, 
I served a constituency here in New York that was fairly conservative. You know, I represented literally um, uh, Archie Bunker's home in Glendale. Mm-hmm. I was in Glendale, Middle Village, the Rockaways. And so I I frankly honor the idea that there are a lot of people in my constituency and a lot of people that within the sound of our voice that disagree with me. I do proceed with some basic things. One, I believe that people are functioning in good faith. I don't believe that there are evil people out there who want our mm. country to fall apart and everything. And so when someone calls in and says they disagree or has a point to make, I can usually find something in that call that I agree with. Like I'm not saying I agree with their premise or I agree with their conclusion, but I can usually find something I, I, can, agree, I can agree with. And I remember when Obamacare passed and I was in Congress and I was a big supporter. I was even further I, – I, I believe in single-payer health care, but I was a big supporter of Obamacare. And right, Nancy Pelosi gave you the ball, right? The baseball. Well, yeah, actually, Nancy Pelosi. When I when it was time to drop the gavel on that, I was in the chair. I, I uh-huh. because I, I I was the presiding officer, um, and um, but then during that period of time, I don't know if you remember, it was so controversial that literally members of Congress were being hounded mm-hmm. out of town hall meetings. And I remember Nancy Pelosi put out a memo saying that going into the election, we were going to get rolled in 2010. She said, "Don't do." public events, do as few as possible while you're home for recess. And I did 13 town hall meetings all throughout my district. I went in the opposite direction. And they were contentious. But I believe that ultimately people like the idea and appreciate the idea that even if you disagree with them, if you stand up and you'll have a conversation and you'll have a debate, that they kind of honor you for that. That's the American way. And so I bring that same spirit in to the radio show. But I if, but if someone says something that I believe is wrong, I will say it. But look, but I'll, and, and I'll, I'll add one final thing. I was probably, when I retired from Congress, had to resign in 2011 because of my scandal, I was probably in the probably the more progressive 15 or 20 percent of, of the Democratic Party. Today, as I sit here, I probably, if I were to go run in that 10th congressional mm-hmm. district, would be to the right of the field. So I think that I am not the caricature Democrat that a lot of people believe they're going to get when they tune in. And maybe some of the callers today will learn that. You know, it's funny. uh, Governor Patterson was a good friend of mine before he became governor, before he became lieutenant governor. And uh, when he was a state senator in uh, in Albany, he had a pretty progressive voting record. Then once he became governor and he's faced with the realities of governing, he had a very, very different style of governing. In fact, he always talks about one instance where he actually vetoed a piece of legislation that passed that he was a sponsor of when he was a senator. And I really found that Governor Patterson's experience on WOR, then on 970 and now on this station, and I think he's admitted this, and he he listens, he's probably listening right now, his experience dealing with conservative listeners has forced him to have a much broader perspective than he did when he was only worried about catering to voters and to donors. And he's said that his views have evolved on a few different issues after thinking about it from a conservative listener perspective and talking about it with conservative callers. I know you've only been doing this, you know, since basically February, but have you found that at all? Have you found that your views have actually evolved on any specific issues because of your exposure to a lot more right-leaning Vox Populi? Uh, I mean, look, I haven't had moments of epiphany, but I I understand and I spend a lot of time listening to the other the other shows, including yours. I, I, I understand that our process does benefit 
or does be harmed by the notion of the siloing of information that we get access to. And I did a show uh, a few weeks ago about Twitter, and we're not big – our listeners are not big users of Twitter. But I was trying to make the point that social media has accelerated something that John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez and others here are trying to push against, which is the idea of we only get exposed to the viewpoint that we want to mm. hear. If someone is listening to my show or the show that you do or the show that I do with, with Curtis Lewa, to some degree they are open to a conversation. They're not open only to a diatribe. And so those conversations have been enlightening to me. I like having those. When someone calls up, look, there is no way before I was um, I was listening to, 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 uh, to WABC that I would have spent six or seven hours reading through the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. Mm-hmm. I never would have done that because in liberal media, they're not even discussing it, let alone really doing a deep dive. Now, when I went in and I became an expert on it, I, I found that there was much less there than met the eye and some really bad news for Hunter Biden, but nothing that connected to Joe Biden, for example – but I did find myself getting chin deep diving into an issue that I never would have otherwise. And in that way, I think I'm a better citizen because of it. We're going to take your calls next. Anthony Weiner is here, my guest for the hour. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Before we break, let me end with this, this question radio related. One question I get asked so often by a lot of friends of mine that are, you know, left of center is why are there so few really successful left-of-center talk show host. And it, it, it's not none. There have been several. But nobody along the uh, along the line of a Rush Limbaugh or a Sean Hannity in terms of success. Do you view what you're doing on Saturdays as an opportunity to show the kind of the talk radio industry at large that it is possible for a center-left show or a left-of-center show to be really successful in the number one market in the country? Well, I'd like to be successful, but what you've asked is a question that literal books have been written about. And I have a theory, and the theory is that progressives are more likely to be early adopters of of new technologies and that the new technology in this case was podcasts and satellite radio or non-terrestrial radio. And what has wound up happening is the combination of liberal voices going into podcasting and during the – I don't know what was the era. I guess it was 80s and 90s and early 2000s, the dominance of the Rush Limbaugh's, the Levin's, the, 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 the right voices in syndication left very little oxygen for, for people on the left. But today, it's kind of like all of media has been tossed up in the air, and I think that, that I would like to be successful. I would like to be successful just to, to – because I mean, obviously I'd like to be successful – but also, I believe that there are a lot of people who are, as I said earlier, right-leaning, partisan people, but who are open to having a conversation mm. and a debate that sometimes zigs and zags them into different places. I think most Americans are open to new ideas, and I think that sometimes today's terrestrial radio um, um, programmers think that they're not. And, and, and just to reiterate something you said earlier – John Katsimatidis, he, he's, he has said, sure, he's rescued some people and given them second chances like me and others. But more importantly, he's put an emphasis on good radio mm. in quotation marks. Like if it's good radio, if it's interesting, if it's substantive, it has, it has some back and forth, then he wants to try it because he thinks it's going to be successful. And he's taken this, this station and taken it from 25th in the market to being the most successful talk radio station in the country. Mm. 
And um, so I hope to be part of that. And uh, at least in the current time slot, we're number one in all formats in New York. 800-848-WABC. Anthony Weiner is here. We'll continue with your calls, or we'll begin with your calls straight ahead. WABC. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno here with Anthony Weiner, former Democratic congressman and the host of the Anthony Weiner Show on Saturday afternoons, 2 o'clock. Now, I uh, want to talk about the congressional race that you alluded to a second ago, but let me ask you about two of your colleagues that are running against one another. You got uh, Carolyn Maloney and Gerald Nadler facing off in a very competitive primary, which may include, looks like will include, uh, another progressive challenger as well, Siraj Patel. As somebody that uh, that knows the district pretty well, as somebody that knows both of those people pretty well, I would think, how do you handicap that race? I think I'd rather have Upper West Side votes in the primary than Upper East Side votes in the primary. There's more of them in Carolyn's district than there are in Jerry's district. But, I mean, punditry aside, I think there's room. Maybe it's not for Patel, but there is room for someone to come in and say, you know what, we've got two old bulls. Yeah. This is going to be a Republican Congress. I'm I'm fairly certain unless something dramatic changes. This might be a good time to say let's get a new voice in there. They're, they're both of these, they, you know, they've got a lot of seniority. You know, I read a story in the New York Times. I think it hit hit the wires today about this race. It, I sometimes resent when politicians talk about quote unquote my district. Like it's not the Nadler district. It's not the Carolyn Maloney district. This is this is New York's district. I think that if I had a handicap it, though, I think I'd rather I, I, I would give the edge to Jerry Nadler. Upper West Side votes more plentiful and also Patel primaried Carolyn Maloney before. So you would kind of think that votes for him would come out of Carolyn's side of Manhattan. Um, but I, I have to tell you, having a compact district on Manhattan Island makes a lot of sense. I understand that it's costing us one of these Democratic leaders, but from a purely you know, a, the pure perspective of what's a compact district, doing one in upper Manhattan makes some sense to me. We'll talk about the uh, de Blasio district in just a minute, but uh, I've uh, yammered on enough. Let's get some some folks an opportunity to talk to you. 800-848-WABC. Kurt is on Staten Island. Hello, Kurt. Hey. What's Good on your morning, mind, Frank. Kurt? How are you? I'm great. What's I'm, on I'm, your mind? All right. I, what, you know something? I'm, I am not a Democrat, but I love Anthony Weiner for some reason. All right, he did whatever happened happened, but the guy is brilliant. Well, again, we're working on the new humble Anthony Weiner. We don't want to. We don't want him to hear too many people call him. Brilliant. You're there. You're listening. You're brilliant, man. It's you nice got of you to so say, much Kurt. to offer. You're such a smart man. You, I, I listen to you. All right, like I said, I'm conservative. All right, but you know, I'm, and, and you know what? And, and it is persons like yourself that made me conservative. 
<laughs> Talk about a backhanded compliment. Well, thank you, Kurt. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you to say. Uh, and if you have questions, by the way, we have a, as somebody that has had a wealth of experience on the uh, municipal government level, the federal government level, that knows what it's like to run a citywide campaign twice, that knows what it's like to be married to someone who's essentially running a presidential campaign as well. It's a very unique perspective, and also someone that knows what it's like to go to prison. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Larry's in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hey, good evening. Hey, Anthony, I got a good story for you. Fire away. I'm, I'm not. I'm not judging you because I think they overcriminalize everything with these electronic uh, laws and everything. We won't get into that because I know you got to put on a, you know, a squeaky clean image now. But I got a good story for you. Okay, I used to have. Um, I'll confess and come clean. I used to have the same kind of similar. Not exactly, but you know, I had my own kind of fetishes over the phone and everything like that. And uh, I picked on. One time I picked on the wrong girl from the wrong state. It was like uh, some girl from South Carolina. You can't get more conservative than that. And my cell phone started pinging after that, okay? And I thought they were trying to narrow down my uh, location, and I eventually had to destroy the phones. But that's the way to get away from those mofos. I want to tell you right now, you know, that's, you got to use your head and be one step ahead of them. All right. Well, thank but, you for that advice, Larry. I hope everybody took notes on that uh, for anybody that's similarly situated. 800-848-WABC. Chris is in the Catskills. Chris, you're on with Anthony Weiner. Hi. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Anthony, I see you having a lot of skills as an elected official. I see you as a very effective administrator. You would make an outstanding mayor of New York City or a county executive, if you were to run for office again, you clearly have the talents to be a legislator. What would your legislative platform be in your first term? And I would strongly encourage you to run, by the way. We, we got to get rid of ideologues in the Democratic Party. I'm, an, I'm a Democrat, and I was an elected official before myself. Thank you. Well, I, look, I, I, my days of being an elected official are behind me. I think there's a lot of ways that I can serve Frankly, doing this, you know, the idea of, of, of getting people to come together on issues, to try to expand a little bit on issues that people haven't thought about much. I think, you know, my I have always felt that my dream was to be mayor of the city because I wanted the responsibility. I wanted the, the tough things. And also, I believe that that mayor is basically a non – well, I don't want to say nonpartisan, but a non-political job when it's New York City. And I think one of the things that Bill de Blasio lost sight of, and I think that – Rudy Giuliani and Bloomberg kind of remembered was that to, to a large degree, the problems that we have today defy ideological uh, uh, parameters. I think that if you pursue reducing crime through the lens of the obvious, when we had to reduce crime the last time in the, 19, in the late 1990s, we hired more cops. <laughs> That's one of the things we did. We taxed ourselves a little more, safe streets, safe city. We hired more cops. We got up to about the 38,000 that we have today. If I were to if I were to snap my fingers and say, what can we do to deal with crime today? I would say increase the number of police officers that are on our streets. I think that while a great deal gets made of these of the no cash uh, bail law, I think too much of it gets made of it, even if it's two or three or four or five percent of people that are getting rotated out onto the streets too quickly. I think we should change that. I I, I believe that there are common sense things that we can do to reduce the expense of our city government. Um, that we should be willing to do. I actually put out two books of ideas 
um, called Keys to the City when I ran for mayor both in 2005 and then again in 2013 because I think that ultimately mayor is where you can do that. You can take an idea and and make it work. But I, I don't think I would want to be – the question asked, well, if I was a legislator again – I tell you, right now, I don't think I'd want to go to Washington. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a place right now where the action is happening in terms of lawmaking because I think that both parties are kind of captives to their wings. And people are, you know, look, we've we passed fewer laws. Uh, we passed 25 percent of the laws in the last Congress than we did in the so-called do-nothing Congress of the 1950s, uh, 1940s. So, I, I mean – I don't think that it's a place that action happens anymore. I think municipal government is where it's going uh, Well, on. so you you said you don't have an interest in running for – or your days of running for office are over in the future. You think that applies to both state government and municipal government as well? You're definitely slamming the lid, no chance. No, I, I don't I don't see it. I don't see it. First of all, the things I'm doing here in WABC are speaking honestly and not being concerned about partisanship, and that's not a good way to run a campaign, to be honest. But I, I've did, I've done that time. Also, you know, this, I do believe that there is time for regeneration of new people to come and get over. I think sometimes I look up and I look at the ballot and I'm like, God, this guy's running right. again. Right. I and and I, I don't believe we should have term limits, but I believe that people should have the judgment to say, you know what, I'm going to step aside and let someone else do it. Well, but the problem is, a, a lot of folks don't have that judgment to step aside and let someone else uh, do it. But uh, that's certainly a broader discussion. Speaking of. Would-be political comebacks, your one-hour-a-week partner, Curtis Slewa, was here yesterday, and uh, he had some thoughts about a potential political comeback for you. Guess how many people would say they would vote for Mondaire Jones out of 100 registered Democrats? 7%. So if my math is correct, and I wasn't too good at math, take de Blasio 6%, Mondaire Jones 7%, that's only 13%. I hope that Frank Morano pushes Anthony Weiner tonight in the morning when he returns from being totally flushed out of cash in Atlantic City shooting craps at the Borgata. Was not in Atlantic City. To push Anthony Weiner to run in that district. I'm telling you, I've done the analytics. As you know, I recently ran for mayor. I was all over that district. Bing, 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 like Ricochet Rabbit. Anthony Weiner could beat Bill de Blasio and Mondaire Jones in a Democratic primary. I know you're saying that's impossible. The guy just got off of probation, federal probation. Stranger things have happened in the body politic. Keeping in mind what you said about Washington not being a place for progress these days, uh, Curtis does have a point in that the 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 number of people that may dislike you in a Democratic primary, they would be divided up among three or four candidates. And with no ranked choice voting in a congressional primary, there is a very realistic scenario in which you could uh, slip in if you were to run in that de Blasio seat with 20, 25 percent of the vote. But you're closing the door on that. No chance that happens. Well, uh, Curtis is a smart guy. Look, here's what I know about that district. When I live in it, I grew up in I grew up in the Park Slope side of that district. My dad and mom still live there. Um, I represented it in Congress for a while. It 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 just it's part. But but listen to these communities. It's Greenwich Village. It's the Lower East Side where Wolf Wiener, my great grandfather, had a fur shop in in that at the turn of the century. It's Brownstone, Brooklyn. It's Re, it's it's uh, Sunset Park. It's Windsor Terrace. These are some very, very, very liberal corners of the city, maybe the most liberal. I don't know 
if I'm a fit for that district anymore. All that being said, if I did run, I probably would win it. But you you don't have an interest in running, keeping in mind that you could. Uh, going back to Washington, D.C. as a member of Congress is not something mm. that appeals to me. I did that, and I did it, you know, I, I it doesn't, I would not go there because I wanted to make laws. Members of Congress are not making laws mm-hmm. anymore. Right now, what the people getting elected to Congress are people that want to increase their platform, that want to make a lot of noise, but it is not a place to go if you want right. to get so stuff Ilhan done. Ilhan Omar, Marjorie Taylor There's Green, a lot of, yeah, I Matt mean, Gates, it, Corey Bush. You know, here's the way I would put it. It used to be that people, when a member of Congress, use social media to, to amplify their voice. Now, people, it's on social media who want to have another platform, try to go to Congress so they can get in, get more followers. I don't think that I – but I would tell you who's not going to be it, um, and that's Bill de Blasio. You know, I, I looked at some of these numbers just like Curtis did. He is known by 100 percent of the district and only getting chosen at this early point by 6 percent. He's not going up from there. So I don't know who it's going to be, but I, I don't think Curtis is wrong. I think if I ran, I would probably win it. Uh, so the New York Times also did a pretty tough article on uh, de Blasio, and I ran into uh, de Blasio at an event we were at the other day. And uh, I asked him to come on the show. He said he's going to come on, and uh, I'm certainly going to you know, be fair, but uh, I think appropriately challenging. It, the m- m- common denominator among New Yorkers these days seems to be that they are not fans of Bill de Blasio's tenure as mayor, particularly his second term. You indicated Lydia's constant refrain of you being blamed for Bill de Blasio. Other people have said this back in 2013, and there was a a very good documentary. I don't know how you feel about it, but there was a great documentary chronicling this called Wiener, which is available on streaming, which shows you at even after after your scandal, at least round one of your scandal, leading in the in the polls to be the next mayor of New York City, only to finish uh, fifth or sixth with de Blasio winning, benefiting from the collapse of your campaign. Um, do you think that's fair? Do you deserve the blame for Bill de Blasio? <laughs> I, I don't, look, there was certainly an element in 2013. I would not have run. I would not have tried to come back and run if I didn't think I was the best candidate. And part of that calculation was I looked at the field, and I didn't think that the field was particularly – I didn't think the field was particularly good. I mean, um, but, I mean, if – <laughs> Look, I was leading. When I was done leading, he won. Okay, so those are the facts. I don't think you can make a straight line, but there's no doubt that if it were not for my, uh, not for people, the 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 wreckage of my life, as we say in in recovery, that had been un, uncovered during that election, I would have won it. Um, but Bill De Blasio got elected fair and square. Uh, I don't think he had the strongest opposition in, in, in the race that, that we ran. You know, I got to know um, John Katzmatinis years ago. We were both alumnus of, of Brooklyn Tech. We got to, to bond again over the campaign trail. He was running in 2013 oh, sure, I remember, yeah. as well. I think he recognized also that the Democratic field was not any great shakes. But I don't I, – I'll accept responsibility and make amends to the people of the city of New York for a lot of things. And if they think that I'm to blame for Bill de Blasio, I will take it. I tell you what – if you he he doesn't like me, even though when I left, uh, when when uh, in his first term, I wrote a column in the Daily News. I was always praising of him. I was on New York one supporting him because I don't believe that people should lose races and then carpet there right. who have who beat them for uh, for four years. Um, but he doesn't treat me like someone who's a friend. And I I think a, a lot of people stop me on the street and say, you gave us Bill de Blasio. I wish you would have been mayor. 
But I'll leave that for someone else to decide. Well, a lot of folks, particularly those on the left, blame you not just for Bill de Blasio, but for Donald Trump. Uh, we all remember what happened in the 2016 campaign when uh, authorities seized your laptop. And this created a, a scandal or furthered a scandal and maybe some perceptions of a scandal for Hillary Clinton. And a lot of folks say that it was that incident that might have made the difference in several swing states that allowed Trump to win in 2016. One person emailed me uh, just yesterday saying, oh, you know, please thank Anthony Weiner for this new uh, doing away with Roe versus Wade and the three Supreme Court justices that Donald Trump got to got to appoint. Uh, keeping in mind your willingness to take some responsibility for de Blasio, do you deserve any blame for Donald Trump? Well, if you want to make this argument that Anthony Weiner's flap was the butterfly whose wings flapped and <laughs> right. changed all of history, you can take it to a, an absurd degree. But I can, I would say this, and I, I, I mean, first of all, the the facts behind all of this stuff shouldn't be lost. You either think that Comey did the right thing by having my laptop for a month, doing nothing with it claiming there was a lot of things on there and having to go to Congress and say, oh, actually, there turned out to be nothing. Uh, oh, um, having a big press conference, closing the investigation, and then in a letter 10 days before opening it. If you think that Comey proceeded with that information correctly, then okay, then you can blame me. But if you think that he didn't, then you've got to put the blame on Comey, not on Anthony Weiner. And my view is that Comey did everything wrong in that. He holding a press conference saying that they did not going to hold Hillary Clinton responsible. That's not what prosecutors are supposed to do. They had my laptop. There was nothing on my laptop. He eventually had to admit that there was nothing there. They sat on it for months for reasons that are suspicious to me. But as close as that election was, you can blame a lot of different things. You can say, listen, maybe Hillary should have gone to Wisconsin. Maybe she should have done different things. I, I don't know. I'm uh, not of that belief, by the way. I, I don't think there's anybody that was leaning towards Hillary that voted against her because of uh, you know, because of the Comey situation. But let situation. me just say this. You know, here's a tendency we have when it comes to we like narratives. Mm. You know, we like narratives in our lives. We like narratives in our public in, in our in our discussions of public. Sometimes stuff just happens. OK, sometimes a collection of stuff just happens. So what we when we go back after the fact and says Anthony Weiner led led to this, led to that, led to this, led to that. Therefore, um, Donald Trump, I don't think you can do that. But I understand that fascination. And one of the things that I've thought about and, and, and I'd like to get your help with this either on the air or off the air is how to go back and tell that story. You talked about the documentary was made about my campaign. I never saw it. But the true stories of what was on my laptop still, if you go on, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, put Anthony Weiner's laptop in your Twitter feed and see what pops up. It's, you know, a lot of people believe that there are these mysterious elements on my uh, on my laptop. But at some point, I will try to tell those questions. And if people want to ask specific questions, but there wasn't anything on my laptop. Um, yes, it got seized. Well, seized is a strong word. I turned over all of my mm -hmm. devices at, during this time, um, and they had them for months. And and uh, Comey went to Congress and said thousands of emails were discovered, and it turned out there was like a half dozen that they didn't already have. It was a backup of, of, uh, of, of another device. We're going to continue with Anthony Weiner in just a minute. 800-848-WABC. Still a lot to get to, including uh, some, uh, some, some things that might bring all of New York together that have nothing to do with disliking Bill de Blasio. Hey, you seem pretty energetic. How about sticking around one more hour? I, what do you I say? Would, you down I, for I, one I more hour? I would love it. In for a penny, in for a pound. Plus, I, I get to all see right. how the magic is made here at the, <laughs> with Frank Morano. <laughs> Please. All right. Uh, Anthony Weiner, we're going to get him to stick around for one more hour. 
hour. We'll have plenty of time for your calls. 800-848-9. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, joined until uh, 3 o'clock by Anthony Weiner, former Democratic congressman, WABC radio talk show host, every Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m., and a very devoted and longtime hockey fan. How excited are you about the uh, New York Rangers advancing to the uh, Eastern Finals? Well, I have a confession to make. I'm not a Ranger fan. I'm an Islander fan. So it's kind of like, are you a Mets-Yankee guy? I'm a Mets guy. Right. So you know that you root for the Mets and anyone playing the Yankees, right? right? (laughs) Exactly. So uh, I didn't know hockey fans had that same level of enmity. Islanders and Ranger fans do. Like the the Rangers, Ranger fans a couple of times a game. In the middle of the in the middle of the game, will just suddenly chant "Pop Pop and sucks." sucks, You know, even I know that. So they, um, but this has been a great. You know, I've really bonded. I've I've been a hockey fan my whole life, and my son Jordan, um, never really was into it. And then last year during the Stanley Cup, he just sat down next to me while I'm watching the Islanders, and not only got into watching it with me, but started playing. And now he he plays four times a week, and we really have bonded over hockey and. And so we watched the games. I'm very impressed with this Ranger team. They were not a great team despite their record during the season. They're five on five. They, they were not that great a team. They were just supported by this insane performance of their goaltender. And going into the Eastern Conference Finals, um, Vasilevsky, they're going to be playing these two Russian goalies who are arguably the best, on, the best this year and the best on earth are going to go against each other. I'll be surprised that the Rangers win that series, but I've been surprised all along. This is going to be a lot of fun for New York. You know, mm. New York, there's a bandwagon effect that takes on that suddenly you start seeing red, white, and blue hats everywhere and people wearing their Messier jerseys and everything else. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm I'm starting to buy in. I'm starting to buy in. I, but you I, rooted against the Rangers in this series that they I just won? Didn't. I didn't. I wanted them to I wanted them to win. Now Jordan had his his brackets were doing very well, and he picked Carolina to win this series. And so he was rooting for Carolina just so he would beat me in, in our little bracket challenge. Um, but I, I, you know, last night I was rooting for the Rangers, and I'm glad that they're doing well. I can't do it with, obviously, a lot of enthusiasm because I have to listen yeah. to my Met fans and the buddies I play hockey with, or, mo- uh, uh, yeah, or Ranger fans, rather, are mostly Ranger fans, so I'll have to listen to it for a while. But if not this year, this is a team with a very, very bright future. They have a young core of players that's going to be that are going to be very good. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I think they're going to lose to Tampa in, in this series. But I, you know, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised by anything. So not only is your son Jordan playing hockey, but you're still playing hockey. I am. I am. Even though sometimes my teammate Sash has put my equipment bag in the crease and then, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I still play once or twice a week. Yeah. But you're a New York Met fan, too, though. Right? I am. Yeah. And uh, how are you feeling about our season? This I got to say, another another offensive explosion last night. I, mm. I, I feel great. Right now, I mean, I there's a tough stretch in the season here. 
and obviously our our starting lo- rotation is 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 really crippled. But if we can do 500 baseball while the two big pitchers are out and Degrom is starting to throw again, I'm feeling I'm feeling optimistic. I mean, the Yankees are having an amazing season, also. That's for sure. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. John in Brooklyn has been very patiently holding. Hello, John. Frank, I just want to tell you this is one of your best interviewers in months, and, uh, well, and keep at it. You. I'm glad you're having uh, Anthony on for another hour. Anthony, I should tell you that I don't agree with you politically, but. You have done a great job persuading me that I should listen to you. I really appreciate your delivery on the radio, how you're willing to listen to other points of views. That at at first, I, I, when I heard you, I wanted to close the radio. But now, uh, when you're on and, and I have the radio on, I will listen to you to the end. I may not have time always to listen to you and Curtis, but that one hour you do is absolutely riveting. And I want to suggest someone who I think you haven't spoken about yet who should be competing successfully against Jerry Nadler, uh, my fellow high school alumnus, and uh, Carolyn Mahoney. And that's Maud Marin. I think she's a common-sense Democrat that uh, well, John Katsimatidis would support. There'll certainly be a lot of time between now and August to look at that particular race. 800-848-WABC, but uh, that's very nice, John. Thank you. I appreciate it, John. Thank um, you. Hey, by the way, obviously, you know, I, I don't know, I have any idea what um, what John is paying you, but, you know, I know what radio pays. I, I know you're not making a living, you know, on your one day a week on, on, the, on the radio. What do you do for money these days? Well, I've done a couple of things, you know, I, uh, for about a year and a half, I was the CEO, and this is this might be a sentence you might be surprised to hear. I was the CEO for a company that made countertops out in, uh, in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, a company called Ice Stone. They, it's a great company. They take recycled glass, and rather than dispose of it, they mix it with cement and make beautiful countertops. Did that for about a, a year and a half. They're still going, going strong. We started the process of turning the company into a worker-owned cooperative. And the one thing a worker-owned cooperative doesn't need is a CEO. Mm. I've done a little bit of consulting, kind of kibitzing with companies um, that wanted to figure out kind of navigating um, the matrix with government. For you know, for example, I... Uh, I uh, and you did that previously, too, the last time I you did. ran, right? I did. Yeah, you know... I remember the Times quoted you saying the problem was that you weren't charging enough money. Well, no, I mean, he, here's the thing is that when you know there is two ways that that you can use your knowledge of government well three if you include radio but one of the ways to monetize them is to go into lobbying and lobbying was never i i never like that type of, not, not that there's anything dishonorable about it but you wind up doing the bidding in a way that sometimes is too much trading on personal relationships but there are many companies that are out there that are very good at creating a product creating a service and want to figure out a way to be to be in the firmament of government. For example, if uh, I, I worked for a company for a while that um, makes uh, electric vehicle charging stations, and there's always been this chicken and egg problem between, well, no one has electric vehicles because they have nowhere to charge them, and no one's going to build the chargers because there aren't enough people that own electric vehicles. And so trying to navigate those problems and trying to help them out. So I've done a little bit. Uh, a little bit of that, and also look, I've done a lot of just being available for my for for Huma and for Jordan. I was away for 15 months and eight days in prison. 
being available and being a present dad has been a high priority for me, too. Uh, we're going to continue with Anthony Weiner. He's a real trooper. Say what you will about him. Like him. Dislike him. He's sticking around until 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. You have questions. Anthony Weiner's got hopefully a couple of answers. 800-848-WABC. Uh, commendations coming up, and we'll talk cigars a little bit later. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's Tuesday, a shortened work week for uh, for many of us. And uh, although I guess we are doubling the work week for our newest colleague here at WABC, Anthony Weiner, that name sounds familiar. Even if you're living outside of the New York area, it's because he's a former Democratic congressman, former Democratic candidate for mayor, and at two or three times in his life was at the epicenter of one of the biggest tabloid scandals in the entire world. And uh, he is uh, kind enough to join us. We're taking your calls at 800-848-WABC. You know, Congressman, we spoke about Bill de Blasio and your campaign for mayor very conspicuously, and I'm glad you're sticking around for another hour. Uh, I did not ask you your take on the current occupant of Gracie Mansion, Eric Adams. Uh, it's now six months into his mayoralty, one, you know, halfway through the first year. How do you think he's doing? Well, I'm a fan of his. I su- supported him, kibitzed with him a little bit. We stay in touch. Um, I th- I think we, you know, it's another example of how when push comes to shove, he kind of ran as a more moderate voice in that primary. We did not choose our most liberal or woke or progressive nominee. We chose him, and I'm glad we did because I think that's the kind of voice that the city needs. Look, he's going to be judged on this one issue of crime um, arrests are up, but crime is still up as well. And there is this sense of unease. And I see it in my neighborhood. I'm sure other other people see it in theirs. You know, crime is it's not like it. You know, when people say oh, it's never been worse, that's ridiculous. It's been worse a lot of times. Well, by the way, one of the people saying that is Eric Adams. He well, actually that, said that, verbatim yes, I, that I, last I, week. I think I think he he also said early on that it's not as bad as people think and got beaten up right. for that, too. You kind of like I don't think he's thread the needle just right yet. Uh, but I think he's doing a good job. And I think that one of the things I I think that we have to realize is that six months might seem like a long time, but it's not. The six months is not a long time to kind of wrap your arms around a national problem that we're having with this increase in crime. It's not really clear why crime is going up the way it is because it's going up all across the country. Um, and I don't think we're only going to arrest our way out of it. That's in, evidence has shown in the past that, that we haven't. 
But I do think he's doing a good job, and I and I, I give him the benefit of the doubt on these conversations that often go on on the station here. In terms of Adams, though, just this weekend here in New York, we saw three people killed as a result of uh, of gun violence. He, uh, he has been mayor for six months. At what point do is it fair for people to hold him accountable if crime, especially violent crime, continues to go up? It's perfectly re- it's perfectly reasonable for for people to hold him accountable immediately and even after one day. Look, you're the mayor. You sit in that seat. You get the blame when things are not going well. Um, but I think that practically speaking, any change in crime statistics, I think that it's going to take a little time. And also, I think we should acknowledge that what we're seeing is going on nationally. We do have, you know, since COVID, we do have this spike of crime. It's not clear why. Is it because there are more mental health issues? Not clear. Is it because a dramatic increase in gun purchases? I'm not sure of that either. Is it because of the no cash bail thing? I don't believe it is mm. because they don't have those laws and other those changes in laws in other places. Are, are DAs not not prosecuting as much? I don't know. The, long story short, in, in answer to your question. Voters can judge people however they want. That's their prerogative as voters. My perspective is I want to give him a little more time to get his arms around this, and I think that we should be open to his suggestions about ways to do it differently. Now, he has said, maybe not in so many words, that he wants to move back towards the approach of trying to interdict lower-level crimes in order to get to the higher – you know. It's out of vogue to say it now, but the broken windows uh, approach right. to a this term he kind of ran thing. away from, and uh, he didn't want it when he was on with Bernie and Sid recently. They asked him, "Oh, you're bringing back broken windows policing?" He was very careful, very adamant. I guess because it's become such a politically charged term to say, "No, no, 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 we're not doing broken windows." <laughs> yeah, but there clearly is, he is. There is it. I think that you're right, that very often this is a branding problem and the branding in some corners of the Democratic constituency in some in some quarters, the branding of broken windows has gone astray. Look, let's not forget there was a period where we were stopping hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers on the street who did absolutely nothing wrong, overwhelmingly black black and brown people and harassing them on the way to and from their work, to and from school. And we over we were over policing. Now, today, I would argue that maybe we're under policing a little bit, that maybe the pendulum has swung too far. However you brand it, what he has said, which is try to get these lower level crimes and make these lower level arrests and prosecute them as a way to prevent the larger ones, is a strategy that I think is going to work. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to Wilford in Newark. Hello, Wilford. Hello. Uh, hey, what's on your mind, Wilford? Stuff. How are you? Oh, I'm good. All right. Well, now that we got that out of the way, what's on your mind? I'm sorry. About the crime stuff, hey, that's just common sense. If you if you have somewhere where you enforce the rules, you ain't going to have it. But here we have where they don't enforce the rules, and then... And then they let people out. And you think crime's not going up. It's going up in other cities because all the cities were doing that same kind of stuff. Not, you know, not policing like they should be. All right. Any, any, anything you want to add there, Congressman? I, I just, I appreciate it, Wilford. I just don't think that you're always going to arrest your way out of these. I think you've got to fear. Like, we had this period during COVID where we were taking 
mentally ill people and turning them out onto the streets because mm-hmm. there weren't enough uh, social distancing within mental facilities. That's going to create circumstances like we have on 14th Street in, 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 in my neighborhood where you just see people who should be somewhere. You see them on the subways. And there's something else that's going on, and this might be somewhat counterintuitive. There are fewer people on the streets, fewer people in the subways, and that's an environment actually that there's more crime. We, we have safety in numbers in big cities, and until you get people back into their offices, back feeling confident on the trains, um, I think you're going to see these things. But there's no doubt there's something happening nationally, though. I think it might be after the protests around George Floyd. It might be something to do with people being shut in for COVID. It might be that we see crime go up when the economy goes down. It's mm. a perfect – it's a it's a direct line indicator. Um, it's not just a New York City problem, but I think you've got to attack it in more than one way. 800-848-WABC. Speaking of Adams, there have been whispers that he views himself as a presidential candidate either in 2024 or at some point in the future. As you said earlier, nobody goes into politics because they think they're the worst possible candidate for any job that the public gets to cast judgment on. But do you think there's anything to that? Do you think Adams views himself as a future presidential candidate? Well, politicians, and this might be a minority opinion, I like ambition in politicians because if you're going to be ambitious, you're going to work hard and you're going to realize that you're thinking all the time about if I run for the next office, what do I say I've done about the problems of today? So if he wants to run for higher office, more power to him. But he probably, if he looks in the mirror and wants to see President Adams looking back at him, one of, well, that would be the third President Adams, wouldn't it? But um, <laughs> he probably realizes he's got to solve the problem of crime in New York. He's got to, the problems of, of economic um, insecurity in New York. Uh, I don't believe it, to be honest. Um, I believe that you know people might chatter about you know, whenever you get into political life, the next thing people start chatting about, what else are you going to run for? Um, if he decides to run for president, I don't think it's going to be in 2024. 800-848-WABC. So if you were to offer some advice to the mayor privately or publicly about how to get get his arms around gun violence, and again, been in office uh, six months now, I think at some point many New Yorkers even the 73% or 67 to 70% of them that voted for him are going to start to demand some results since this is what he staked his whole campaign about. What do you think the best way to do that is? Would, is it with hiring more cops? Is it with more more arrests, uh, more sort of broken window style policing, or is it something else? Well, look, I th- you're I, the ideas guy. I, I think to the city. I think he is right. I mean, there's a, a fair. The last quarter, there was about a 25 percent increase in the number of arrests from the same quarter a year before. They're arresting more people. Um, that's a good start. Secondly, I think you've got to use your bully pulpit here to put pressures on the district attorneys and on the state legislature, and maybe even doing what David Dinkins did back in the day to say, "Listen, I think we all should pay a little bit more to hire some um, some more police officers." The other thing I think is more atmospheric, and that is I like the way Eric Adams is all over the place, appearing at different events, um, showing up in, in the nightlife columns and everything else. But if you're going to do that, one, I want you to do it here in New York City. I think traveling outside of the city, unless you're going to Washington, I would probably not do. Just, just if no other reason, just to make it very clear uh, that you take this seriously – and the third thing that I would, would do is to keep doing what he's doing on trying to get business leaders in our city to do what John Katsimatidis has done here, which is saying everyone's got to show up. Everyone's Absolutely. got to, everyone's got to yeah. come in because it does become 
uh, a, 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 a problematic cycle. If the streets are empty because there's no one in the office buildings and the offices are dark, it becomes more perilous outside and more likely that there be crimes committed. One thing I would not do is return to this idea of basically going into some neighborhoods and just frisking everybody. Because all that does is it gets people less cooperating with the police. It creates more and more tension, more and more resentment. And I'll say one, one, one other thing. Dominic talked about this extensively on the last, on the last hour of his show. This national gun problem is a local problem for us. Guns start out being legal guns and they become illegal guns. So that when we have conversations about how to keep – uh, uh, how to do gun registrations and how to improve the the reduce the access to dangerous weapons in places like Texas and Florida by having tougher national laws. That is something that I want my mayor advocating for uh, advocating for. There's only so much we can do to keep the guns off the street here if they're coming uh, literally by the truckload up on I-95. Um, then when they become they they transition from being illegal guns into being illegal. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC, and uh, you may not be active on Twitter anymore, but I still am. Uh, at Frank Morano, a couple of people tweeting questions to you, including uh, Republican. Actually, I don't know if he's Republican. He's worked for Republicans and Democrats. Noted political consultant uh, O'Brien Murray, E. O'Brien Murray, who ran Bob Turner's campaign, right. Good man. Uh, the fellow that uh, succeeded you in Congress. He tweets: uh, Wiener intern Olivia Nuzzi went on to being a national reporter uh-huh. and almost an author for a book on the 2020 presidential race. Did you foresee her writing about your campaign? What was it like with an intern wanting to make a big splash, basically a reporter in your headquarters? Yeah, uh, she's going on to become quite a, a thing. You know, she and I stayed in touch a little bit after that, it, it was like the weird interactions, you know, um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was BuzzFeed said that I was the most important politician of the 2010s. And one of the things they pointed out is it created Oliver New. Olivia Newsy as a thing. Uh, by the way, just a quick word about Bob Turner. Very good man. Really, you know, he and I ran against each other in 2010. I defeated him. And when um, – You beat David Weprin in the special. Well, it's funny. When when Nancy Pelosi and later on President Obama were pr- uh, pressuring me and ultimately correctly to resign, uh, I told them you're going to lose this seat because I knew, A, Bob Turner was a capable guy, but also that that district was more conservative than people thought. Um, it was recently Bob Turner's birthday. I sent him a text wishing him happy birthday. I hope he's doing well. In, in answer to your question, so she turned out to see an opportunity in 2013 to go embed herself as an intern, basically a volunteer in my in my office, in the campaign office. And being a volunteer, we had hundreds of them. And she so, sold – I don't remember the exact details of the story. It's a little bit of a blur. She sold a story to the Daily News or told a story, my life as an intern in – Anthony Weiner's office. I don't remember what the crux of it was any more than that. I think just making fun of me. Um, and she went on to be a, a, a real serious reporter. I think she works for New York Magazine now. Um, if uh, if I helped employ another journalist, uh, she wouldn't be the first or the last. A lot of people made a few bucks telling stories about me. 800-848-WABC. Brendan is in Rockland County. Brendan, Hello. Hey, good morning, Mr. Moreno. How are you? Doing great. What's on your mind uh, this morning, Brendan? I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, I'm listening to uh, I listen to you every every morning on the way into work, and uh, and you bring up a very a very good topic today, and, and it's about about Mayor Adams. And uh, I was I was uh, involved with FDNY during 9/11 through the whole Giuliani mayor thing. 
And I've never, ever seen a mayor act uh, the way he did, as swiftly as he did. Um, he cleaned the city up pretty much. He, he picked the city up. He he got the city broken, then it was destroyed, and he picked the city back up. I don't think there's ever going to be a mayor close to what Giuliani is. But the first step that, that this Adams person could do is when the last clown was in there and defunded the police by a billion dollars, why not refund the billion dollars and up the street patrols again? You know, take, taking yeah. a billion dollars is, is, is well, a, well, so a I'll let um, I'll let Anthony Weiner answer. What I would just add is, again, I, if my remembrance of what happened there, Brendan, was that the driving force behind that billion dollar cut was the city council. And, you know, I, look, I didn't never voted for Bill de Blasio, would not vote for him for anything. But early in his tenure, uh, in part due to the advocacy for Bill Bratton, de Blasio pushed for hiring a thousand new police officers. So, you know, you got to give him both he and Bratton a little bit of credit there. But uh, as someone that ran for mayor twice and served in the city council, Congressman, I'll defer to your well, I analysis. Mean, look, let's let's keep in mind that that crime was 40, almost 50 percent lower under de Blasio than it was under Giuliani. So if you if, right, I mean that's is that is that a fair comparison though? Well, I mean, crime. If you're going to give someone, if you're going to criticize Adams for crime going up for t- up twenty percent or twenty five percent overall, but forty percent in violent crimes, you've got to give the guy who did eight years of steady decline to the point that we were this, we were we were about. I mean, you do the math. He was about forty percent safer than we were under Giuliani. Now. Well, seven years of steady decline because the last year it did correct, go correct. But let me let me just just say that you know it, it, it's I, I just want to want to stress something here. You know, I think that there are a lot of calls that police officers would be the first to say, and I did a lot of ride-alongs when I was in Congress in the City Council. There are a lot of calls that police officers go on domestic violence calls, domestic dispute calls, um, EDP emotionally disturbed people calls. That a lot of police officers know are calls they don't want to get because it's in many ways it's not really true policing. They're going into these perilous situations with mentally ill people, people who are fired up at their wife, at their husband, at their boyfriend, whatever it is. And there is this idea that there should be resources that we bring to bear on those types of cases that aren't just sending an RMP to police officers over or that we have to figure out a way to get those people off the street, get those people help, get those people drug counseling, whatever it might be. And so there is this element of, listen, let's think about different ways to do this. Um, but I believe that w- that one of the ways that Rudy Giuliani, and I was in the city council at the time, that Rudy Giuliani was able to be successful is that under Dave Dinkins, we hired a bunch of new cops, and they were deployed very well by Jack Maple and Rudy Giuliani, who did a very good job seeing the the necessity for data-driven pursuit of crime. Comstat. Comstat. And this this thing that sounds so intuitive now and and de Blasio benefited from and Bloomberg benefited from of creating a structure where police officers were accountable, that that executive officers at station houses were accountable, that the COs were accountable right on up the line and treated it like a business. They were in the business of reducing crime, and if they didn't do it, they were going to lose – their positions of authority. And I think that Giuliani taught us that it is doable. Um, and so if the caller wants to give Giuliani credit, I would agree with him. He, I, I think that Giuliani does, deserves a lot of credit. But he had tools that maybe are not available to Eric Adams today. I, I, I seem to remember you when you were in the city council publicly feuding with Rudy Giuliani on the steps of City Hall. 
I don't remember you publicly giving Rudy Giuliani a lot of credit for CompStat implementation. Oh no, at that's the time. not right. I actually, I actually had. I was challenged in my district because I was a little bit too close. Since in, uh, I was a pretty tough on crime guy. I was, I was, you know, I was on the public safety committee. Crime was a very important uh, part of why I ran for office in in 1991. Um, so, I, and I, when I was on the judiciary committee, I supported the death penalty. I supported a lot of the mandatory minimums, things that I, frankly, would probably do differently this time. But no, I mean, the, the, the conflict I had with Mayor Giuliani, and I wonder if you, you know, I see him in the halls here, I, I should ask him if he recalls this, is that I had stumbled on a source in the fire department who was sending me information about how, and this is an obscure issue that I, I doubt um, you or many of your listeners remember. There was this period of time where public housing hallways were bursting into flames. Mm. There were fires going on in public housing. And as it turned out that this very cheap paint – had been purchased by the city, and it was bought. It was an an ally, friend, donor of the mayor, yeah. whatever it was. Anyway, I had all this data. I was a young, ambitious guy. I was going to run for Congress, hopefully sometime in the future. And I was making him Howard safe. I was making their life miserable because I was having these press conferences saying that we're going to have more of these fires until they repaint these hallways. Turned out to be right. And in one particular moment, I held a press conference on. Just before Christmas, and the city and the mayor was furious. And Howard Safer, then the fire commissioner, went out and says, Councilman Weiner is the councilman that stole Christmas. This is outrageous that he's making these allegations. But I actually wound up getting along fairly well with that administration. Um, and I gave them a lot of credit, but there were times that I that I, I certainly did feud with them. Well, we're going to continue with your calls in just a minute. Anthony Weiner is here for the hour. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. A lot to get to. Uh, we'll get to as much as we can in the next 40 minutes. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Tales, born too late. By the way, if you ever want to know what kind of music uh, we are playing on this show, you could join our Facebook group. We post the bumper music there each and every morning. Uh, just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters. Uh, right now, there is a panoply of opinions on there all about Anthony Weiner. Uh, some people ready to nominate me for a Marconi Award. Other people saying they're never going to listen again. Uh, hopefully more in the uh, in the former category than the latter. 800-848-WABC. Um, l- let, let me get to a few calls. Man, there's a lot of things I want to pick your brain on. Jeff in Jersey City has been patiently holding. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank. Hello, Anthony. I Hi, just want to say one thing here, a preemptive kind of. I voted for Donald Trump. I voted for Anthony Weiner. I voted for Curtis. By the way, I'm not a Ku Klux Klan member. I'm not a white supremacist. Uh, I just thought I'd tell him since Joe Biden's calling everybody, a lot of white people, white supremacists. He's one himself. Anyway, uh, Anthony, 
I was a supporter of you from day one, the time you said you were a mainstream Ed Koch kind of Democrat, and, and that is your line, right, 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 uh, Tony? Uh, and, and again, you know, you're in my heart, and because um, uh, the thing with, you know, you were talking about the broken windows and Giuliano start, started to turn around. The thing is, you can't take your foot off the gas pedal with a city as complicated and huge as New York. I supported, actually, Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo because of the DNA from Mario. Uh, he was so right in the beginning. McCall was just a, uh, something that I never agreed with, machine kind of candidate. You ran against the machine candidate. I think he's a good man. I think it was uh, Fernando Ferrer, and um, you, you, you did well, and you, got, you were getting a lot of attention. Everybody recognized your political internet. You were crushing de Blasio. Jeff, did you did you have a question? Because I want to get to some other people as well, Jeff. Okay, there was so much, and and then the people that turned on him, Obama, and then Andrew Cuomo. Oh yeah, I do have a question. I do have a question. So much you had so much time here. You were talking, going to films, but okay, it's for the once in a while. It's for the listeners, I guess. Um, But I'll be the listener and ask my question because that's my responsibility to ask my question. Biden's not running in twenty four, Anthony. And, uh, again, I respect your uh, political intellect and your friends with Liz Holtzman, who was one of your supporters, I thought. Um, you know a lot. Who's going to run? Biden's not running. He's not capable. Um, who's going to run in 2024? Uh, okay, so well, let's start with that question, and then maybe we could backtrack to the Liz Holtzman possibly running for the de Blasio Congressional District question. Uh, what do you see happening in 2024? I tend to agree with Jeff. I think Biden's going to have a tough time running in 2024. I, I think he's going to have a tough time, too. As a matter of fact, the only candidate I think he can beat is Donald Trump. Weirdly, I think I think one of the the only Democrats that Donald Trump can meet is Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, well, well, see, if and there's a lot of ifs, I think let me just say with a full sentence, I think that Joe Biden runs for reelection, period, full stop. If he doesn't, it'll be Hillary Clinton. And you, there you go. Uh, there, that, I mean, I just can't that, think, that's I my mean, analysis. Again, again, um, just thinking. Who, right. But yeah. just, you know. Frank, just thinking about who can put it together. Yeah. Well, no, that's we I don't said have the same a, thing. We don't have a vice president who can pull it together. None of the senators. They're basically the all the dwarves. I think that Hillary could if in 2023 the numbers are what right. they are today. And, you know, we're not alone in saying that. I think Mark Penn has said the same thing. I think uh, I think Andrew Stein has said the same thing. I think Doug Schoen has said the same thing. A lot of folks that are uh, attuned to democratic national politics have said the same thing. Now, uh, you talked about Adams getting elected largely on a platform of uh, reducing crime. And it's very interesting because in Los Angeles, where crime is also a big problem and other quality of life issues like homelessness, right now, one of the leading two candidates, we don't know if he's going to finish first or second, and they have a runoff system there if no one gets 50 percent, is a former Republican billionaire by the name of Rick Caruso, who's running as a Democrat on these kind of tough on crime issues, similar style in terms of messaging to, to Adams. Now, Given what we've been hearing in a post-Joe Crowley world of how far to the left the Democratic Party is moving, if Caruso is able to win this primary or, or uh, just, you know, actually it's, uh, it's not a primary there. It's the top two vote getters, irrespective of primary, they face off in the general. Right. If Caruso is able to win in L.A., you have Adams winning in New York, are we seeing a kind of new 
urban Democratic Party, where people that used to be Republicans, which Adams was as well, are much more comfortable voting Democrat and running as Democrats. And what do you think that means for the future of the Democratic Party overall? You see, this this is why I like having these conversations, because if you listen to the calls and many of the hosts on WABC throughout the week, they're like, oh, my God. This is the party dominated by AOC. But you're right that the parties, the candidates that are emerging, Joe Biden ran to the right, more the center of his party when he ran in 2016, uh, 2020. You've got um, you you have New York. You have a mayor who didn't run sprinting to the right, but just to the right of the field. We didn't get a Meyer Wiley. We got an Eric Adams. And in in Los Angeles, it seems to be going that same way. It is still fundamentally, particularly around executives, Democrats are more moderate, even here in New York City. People think we're such a blue city. When I ran in 2005, I I almost won. I probably would have won in 2013, running to the little bit to the right, not far to the right. So, and, and by the way, 2009, a lot of people think you well in could 2000 have won. right in, in 2009 when when Bloomberg um, overturned term limits. So. I don't know if there's a great realignment, so to speak. I think that fundamentally the premise that I described to you earlier about the show that I was doing is holding, is that I believe that there is a centrist kind of perspective, particularly around executives. I think people are willing to say, all right, I have an aspiration about about my left policies. I'm going to send a left-leaning congressman there because let's face it, a single congressman one is out not, of 535. Right, right, is not going to change the the Earth's rotation is not going to change because even with someone like AOC, when it comes to giving the key to the city, when it comes to an executive, becomes the president, we're not as willing to do that. Even in 2016, Hillary Clinton ran against uh, a, in a spirited primary against Bernie Sanders. She crushed him. She crushed him. The, 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 the center of our party is the same. And it's true of Republicans as well, I believe. I believe that ultimately what Donald Trump did in 2016 was he staked out kind of a centrist. Sure, oh, he, I've always said that. Right. So sure, he had some positions that seemed, oh, my God, he's really out there. The answer is no. He basically had this kind of common sense thing. And by the way, one of those issues was guns. Right. If you remember, he was fairly moderate centrist well, no, he, on guns. He said that he wanted to make it much more difficult for the mentally ill to purchase guns. He uh, talked about the stupidity of the war in Iraq, talked about making prescription drugs more affordable, talked about not going along with Republican plans to privatize Social Security or reduce Social right. Security. Uh, where he was on trade was not where the mainstream of the Republican Party uh, was, uh, really with the exception of maybe immigration I mean, and taxes, I guess. It's tough to see where he ran in 2016 on a hard right campaign, substantively, not necessarily rhetorically. But um, you, let me, you, you alluded to the job of the mayor of New York City being non-ideological. You know, uh, Fiorello LaGuardia famously said there's no Democrat or Republican way to clean a street. And you said you, you used the word nonpartisan and then backed off that a little bit. Yet in 2003, when nonpartisan elections was on the ballot here in New York City for municipal elections, you opposed nonpartisan elections. If the job of mayor is cleaning streets, arresting bad guys, putting out fires, picking up garbage, what would be so bad with having nonpartisan elections in a city like New York? Well, I don't think it would be bad per se. I think that the parties perform a valuable role. And helping to helping people figure out the players on their on their scorecard. 
And here's what I mean. I mean, I think that that while it's not a perfect indicator, I think that 90 percent of the people within the sound of our voice would say, I am a Republican or I am a Democrat and here's why. Okay, And it's because the way we organize ourselves and the way we have since the earliest days of our republic was by party. And I think that there's nothing about that party alignment that prevents us from having a moderate, a conservative, a liberal person. I just don't think that it. Well, but here's the difference, right? In um, in the South Surf, that island where I live, for instance, or on the or in the middle of Manhattan where you live. You know, it, say the, the whoever the Republican is where I live is going to win that council district, that state assembly district. That leaves people like me who aren't registered Republicans and the 30 percent or so that are registered Democrats completely out of the most meaningful phase of the electoral process. Same thing with Republicans or people that are non-Democrats living in living where you live. Why shouldn't every voter have a say in the most in every meaningful stage of the process. Well, if you don't feel that you are committed to a party, then why should you have a say to who the nominee of that party is? If you are committed to say if if you just want look, I guess the way to look at it is that when the parties are choosing who their standard bearer should be, I don't see anything inconsistent saying, well, you should at least be a member of that party to, to, to well, have, have right. those. Now, yeah. I mean, now we do have a dynamic in a lot of places, and this is a larger conversation, about whether or not too few districts – let's start in Congress, but in too few districts, you described New York City, in too few districts are truly competitive between the parties. If you want to have a say in with the in in how the Republicans choose their nominee or the Democrats choose their nominee, you have an opportunity to do that. You can register in those parties. If you just want to sit back and wait until they've chosen and then you get to weigh in on those, that's a decision that you can make. I will say I agree with you in one regard. There are fewer and fewer with each decennial census. There are fewer and fewer districts in Congress that are truly competitive districts. Mm-hmm. I think we're down to like five or six percent that are truly competitive, meaning that within they're within five percentage points of, of Biden winning um, or losing, meaning that they could flip either way. There are fewer and fewer of those districts because politicians draw districts to their own benefit. And I think that that's not great ultimately for democracy. Well, that's one of the reasons I find these uh, congressional lines so exciting is because it does bring back some competition for both the primary and the general. All right, well, we'll have you back in the future to talk about nonpartisan elections because there's two other issues that I want to make sure I get your take on before you leave. And uh, we are going to take some more calls, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Four open lines if you want to comment. By the way, before we get to these two issues, uh, you we've talked a little bit about Rudy Giuliani. We were both at the uh, Tracy Morgan testimonial dinner. You sat four or five seats away from Rudy Giuliani. I talked about how when Eric Adams spoke, uh, Mayor Giuliani essentially, and I say this as a great admirer of Rudy Giuliani, he essentially stormed out uh, during Eric Adams' remarks. When you run into Rudy in a social setting, how do you guys get along these days? And uh, what was that like when he essentially walked out in protest of the mayor's while he was sitting at your table the other day? Well, we we get along pretty well. I mean, first of all, on a professional level, we both work here for John Katzmatidis. We both work for WABC. We're colleagues now. We're in that that family. I don't see any. He has lots of detractors. I have lots of detractors. I see no particular reason why I should be another one of his. I have an opportunity to state what I believe. He has his his place where he and we also 
I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, I am kind of a, I am now part of the elder statesman class in mm-hmm. the city. Like so, we kind of know the same people. We have some of the common common stories to tell. Um, so we get along fine, and we even got along fine that that evening. We were we were joking about who was going to heckle De Blasio first <laughs> when he was a- acknowledged. Uh, the part of that story that you might not have observed from your table is that. Giuliani was increasingly agitated by even the idea that Adams was there Mm. Um, to the point where he was doing a version of his radio show to those of us at the table of just kind of this this effing guy should be off, you know, in the bowels of City Hall working on crime, not here, wearing a nice suit, giving out a a play. I frankly believe that Mayor Adams can do both. He can show up at events like that and he could also uh, fight crime. I think and again, I'll let uh, 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 Mayor Giuliani speak for himself. I think there is a bit of a resentment on the part of Mayor Giuliani that he is not being called upon more by Eric Adams to help with this problem. And I'm in the camp that says it should be all hands on deck that that if I were mayor, there isn't anyone, even someone who is politically uh, uh, divisive as Mayor as uh, Mayor uh, uh, Giuliani is, that you shouldn't tap resources where you can. And I think that there's a certain amount of fair resentment on the part. I think that, that Giuliani's not wrong to have that feeling. He was steamed, was cussing under his breath, cussing over his breath, and then had and when I turned around, you know, I was on a different side of the table. I was facing the stage. When I turned around, he had just left. Um, but there was no doubt, there's no doubt about it. Giuliani, Mayor Giuliani has a burr in his saddle when it comes to Eric Adams. I think he really believes that he's that Eric Adams is not doing things the right way. But I had to leave to come work here that night. Uh, but I was looking for you to say goodbye or say hello and goodbye because it was kind of a crowded night before I came over here. And I noticed you left early. Did you leave early in protest of anything? I didn't protest anything. I told my son Jordan I would come home for the third period of Game uh, Six. That it was right. it was at Game Five. It was the, the Ranger game was on. I told him I'd be home for the and and to be honest, you know. I, I I am no longer I'm no longer a tuxedo sitting for four hour program kind of guys. <laughs> I was there out of uh, out of loyalty to the cause. I was there. I'm, I'm friendly with Arthur Adala, who who you you also know, who's the dean of the Friars Club. And uh, um, but no, I I was not storming out. I I basically left because I had a family obligation. And now uh, one issue very serious that I wanted to get your take on is we've seen the. Uh, epidemic is the only way I could think to uh, to term it of mass shootings uh, carried out in supermarkets, in schools. Very, very frightening. Uh, as a parent, you know, all those cliches are true that you view the world much differently now than you did prior to becoming a parent. And I think it's everybody's nightmare to think that some mentally ill 18 year old can uh, uh, take a semi-automatic weapon and mow down six, seven, eight people at a place like a school where children are supposed to be safe. What do you think the reason for this is? And uh, well, let me start with that. I, I don't want to uh, offer any specific solutions before getting your take. What do you think the reason for the uptick in mass shootings in places like schools is? Well, it's been dramatically increasing over time, particularly the last couple of years. And who knows what effect COVID has had on it. But it's not a new phenomenon. I mean, look, disaffected, rejected, you know, 18-year-olds in high school who are angry at the world and looking for someone to blame is not probably not a new phenomenon. But the the combination of social media making 
making them renowned, giving them a path forward to be renowned, a way for social media to turn these kids into boiling cauldrons of resentments. And then ultimately, as 80, 90 percent of Americans recognize, the too easy availability of very, very dangerous weapons of death, um, the cocktail is just now, it's clear. It's clear what's happening. You know, very rarely we have this notion that we're a divided country and that nothing ever happens. The issue of guns, though, is really a unifying issue. Um, when you have numbers of 90 percent, including 85 percent of gun owners who say there should be tougher background checks to prevent people from getting guns, that's not a consensus we have on many issues. You know, it, we we do have a clear consensus on what needs to be done. And um, that's the frustrating part about this, that many Americans look to their left, look to the right, used to seeing disagreement and see agreement on these things. And they're wondering why a law does not become – why a bill does not become a law. And it's hard to explain. But what's happening is, is clear. Look, if you look at the research around who does these shootings, they're teenage, homicidal and suicidal, disaffected, generally rejected people that have access to guns who want some level of fame, who have been ginned up by other voices on the Internet. That's what we keep seeing again and again and again. 800-848-WABC. We're going to continue with Anthony Weiner in just a moment. Uh, v- very quickly, though, when we were going over the uh, subjects for the for the uh, our discussion today, you said you'd happy to talk about anything. The one area where you indicated a blind spot in terms of your knowledge and your expertise was the godfather so don't tell me you've never seen the godfather oh no i just i've listened to your program i mean (laughs) you you are like rain man level of like uh, i don't know i'm i'm obviously a fan i'm i'm a uh I'm, i'm a big fan like everyone else is of the two of them the third one i could take or leave um, but I, you know, if we were going to take calls and start got doing it, quizzes okay. and got things it. like that, I was I would be out of my depth. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Hold the Godfather questions and leave leave the cannoli questions as well. <laughs> this is the other side of midnight. We're going to continue with Anthony Weiner in a moment. WABC. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano, seventy-seven WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno here for a few more minutes with Anthony Weiner, former Democratic congressman, former Democratic candidate for mayor of New York City, and our newest colleague here at uh, 77 WABC. Now, I notice you haven't played my promotional bumper thingy that uh, they, they made for me here. Yeah, uh, you know what? We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll have to dust that off, Matt. We'll, we'll dust that off before we before – you, you got a lot of mileage out of that this weekend. I, I feel like a lot of the people ones right. uh, But this they, is – I'm hurt. in the big leagues now, being it's... on your program now. <laughs> Actually, people are listening, you know. Um. Uh, I got to ask you about Ukraine before we run out of time here. Um, we're seeing the the defense contractors, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, a bunch of other uh, weapons manufacturers. We're seeing their stocks, even when the stock market in general was going through a massive slide, we're seeing their stocks go up. Now, um, f- President Biden asked for $33 billion in aid for Ukraine. Congress said, no, 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 we'll give you 40. We'll give you 40. And that's a number that is far greater than we spent 
in almost every American conflict over the past 50 years in an annual uh, basis. Obviously, it's not Ukraine's fault that, uh, you know, Putin and Russia decided to invade. There are a lot of folks, myself included, to be honest, that thinks that uh, part of the saber rattling in terms of America's involvement in Ukraine is being driven by the campaign contributions and the lobbying from these defense contractors. Am I out of my mind? You're not out of your mind. You're just wrong. I mean, it's look. Again, it comes back to what I described earlier, this desire to have a tidy narrative that makes us understand the world. Sometimes, it, particularly in foreign affairs, and this is the one observation I came away with when it came to foreign affairs when, as a member of Congress, we don't have eras of black and white, black hats and white hats. Now these things are – these foreign affairs entanglements give us a lot of bad options and – you can you know, pick Saudi Arabia or Iran. Right. right. I mean, it's like you these are not these are not good choices. You know, like people say, well, you're turning to Venezuela, you're turning, you're asking Iran to, to pump more. E-. Yes. I mean, these are not the kind of alliances you would ever want. You never have to make peace or make, you know, with countries that you agree with. This is at the end of the day, a miscalculation of of by Russia, by Putin about this overarching sensibility that he has about unifying the old USSR, and we had to decide what to do about it. And I want to say, as unpopular as Joe Biden is in the country and probably with your listeners, the fact that we have brought together or helped to hold together this coalition of, of nations that extended even further within the last 12 hours where Europe, European nations came to an agreement to not buy Russian oil any further – these types of coalitions ultimately have isolated Russia even more and, God willing, in the long term, make us a safer world because I think Putin's learned the lesson that you can't just go do this. But in terms of, of you know, why, why are weapon stocks up right now? Because the people who are investing in stocks are looking like everyone else is. What's left that seems like a safe investment? What's left that seems like it's a – and we also – the market overreacts wildly to kind of, again, these narrative ideas. So let's take a look at you know, the, the market. You didn't ask me about this. The market has been plummeting recently. It's because a lot of these tech stocks like like Netflix and Peloton and everything else, we said, oh, in the age of COVID, people are going to be buying these mm. products. They'll be flying off, off the shelves. COVID's over. Right. But, yes, that's all true, but that doesn't mean we're never going to go to movies again. Look at how well the, the, that Tom Top Cruise Tom, movie right. is, is doing. So I, I think that, yes – there might be a reason for people to invest in those stocks, but it is certainly not driving um, how members of Congress and the administration act. A couple of days ago, Henry Kissinger turned 99, not considered an isolationist by any means. He said uh, that he thinks Ukraine is going to have to cede some territory to Russia. Is that an analysis that you agree with? Do you think Kissinger uh, is right? I believe it's up to Ukraine, but I'm not sure how that would work. I mean, it, uh, well, I guess the easy solution is, you know, they stop disputing Crimea and the Russian populated areas of the Donbass, the, they can be these right, independent Russian aligned republics. But isn't that – didn't you just say a couple of sentences about why Kissinger's analysis is wrong? You know, you can say, OK, well, Crimea and then Donbass, and so you say to the Ukraine, well, if only you give up this section of your country. The other problem is, unlike Crimea, is – is the Donbass section? They don't consider themselves Russian. They might be Russian speaking. Might be closer to it, but but they, uh, you know, that that 
that would be basically a, 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 a part of the country that would be in a state of civil war going on, irrespective of what the Ukrainian government deal that they might have done. I don't know what deal there is to be done, but it's certainly not for Henry Kissinger or for me or for you to say it's for the people of Ukraine. Well, and, you know, it is interesting, though, that we've seen all these stories about how great the Ukrainian military has done in terms of fighting the Russians. But then we're told with the other breath that unless we pass this military aid package to benefit the Ukrainians, then it all goes up in the whiff of smoke. It does seem like the the pro-Zelensky factions in the American halls of government do sort of want to have it both ways, that Ukraine's doing great, Ukraine's doing great, but we have to give them $40 billion. Well, one thing I would say that I am very suspicious of Ukraine's doing great, Ukraine's doing great. I, You know, one one thing that we have learned in these moments, there there is a, a little bit of propagandizing going around and a little bit of psyops going on around, you know, is Putin sick or how are the Ukrainians doing? I, I, I don't know. I'm no longer in Congress. I'm no longer getting these briefings. But to some degree, it has to be we've invested all of these resources and it's getting us somewhere. The other narrative you would hear from the White House, oh, we've 80, $80 billion. If only we did another $40 because it's not being successful. They have to argue that it's been successful. I'm dubious, not because I think it's not true, but because I, I don't have a really good source of this information. All right. Uh, we're going to try and squeeze in as many calls as we can. I'm going to go to people in the order they've been holding. The only thing I would ask everybody that's on hold is please, uh, if you have a comment or a question, just keep it as brief as possible so we can get to as many folks as we can. Let me go first to uh, Mike in uh, New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. I understand the appeal of electronic cars. However, the batteries require rare earth materials and are highly toxic upon disposal. And furthermore, the, the very electricity that powers them is generated by fossil fuels. So, frankly, from the so-called green point of view, I don't see the benefit. I know you're up against the clock. I'd like to respond if possible. If not, it's okay. Those are both reasonable criticisms. Technology is improving on all of those fronts, and they use uh, uh, combustion engines are still a big contributor to global climate change. Mike, uh, we'll have you back, and we'll have the congressman back to do electric cars in the future. Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Anthony, you said that uh, you studied Hunter Biden's laptop and you didn't find any connection to the president. How did you get access to his laptop? I, I, I studied – well, I just study his la- – well, recently, actually, his laptop has become available. I, I, uh, I read Miranda Devine's book. I read all the documents that had been released by the New York Post, all the documents that were in the public domain. Oh, so you, you believe that Belinsky was a liar when he, when he testified under oath? Uh, Biden was... he, he, he didn't testify under oath. The Fox News believes he's a liar. The Wall Street Journal believes he's a liar, and so do I. Okay. Well, one other thing, Anthony, if sure. you don't mind. Sure. You, you, you said that um, uh, you're responsible for the uh, for de Blasio becoming mayor. De Blasio was the last mayor, but, I mean, he didn't do what you did and go to prison for it. You really think you'd have a chance up against de Blasio after what you've done? Oh, in that – I was saying in that congressional seat. I don't think I'd beat him from – well, maybe I would beat him for mayor. I was just saying – I was commenting on that new 10th congressional district. Uh, de Blasio is polling terribly there. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Neil. Much. Neil on Long Island. Very quickly, Neil. My God. I've been holding for two hours. Uh, I called about an issue that I thought would be of keen interest to you, and that's the Alaska primary on August 16th. Alaskan voters approved a ballot measure in 2020. Right. Top four. Which, uh, top four. Which right. has been upheld by the Alaska Supreme Court. Mm-hmm 
where they have to declare themselves as either affiliated with a political party or as undeclared or as nonpartisan. And the four candidates who get the most votes go to the general election in which they use ranked choice voting to determine the winner. The key here is that in the primary, all the voters vote in a single primary, be they Republicans, Democrats, independents, it doesn't matter. No longer is there this traditional primary in which many candidates vote in a, uh, run in a single party and can get elected with maybe 15% right. of the vote. Uh, and the reform aims to increase the likelihood yeah. that the candidates... So, so what's your question, Neil? Voters. Exactly. Well, I wanted to know how you felt about top, this. Top I, four. I'm this is a... I've got to say, I'm fascinated by it. I, I think that with this scenario, I think there's a good chance that Sarah Palin does not win. And I think it, it, it what, what, he disc- what Alaska is doing is a combination of what you and I spoke about before. You still get the party affiliations. But you, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that your party is yeah. going to go to the finals. I, I've talked about that a little. I have some issues with that. I, I mean, I wish they'd just use ranked choice voting from the beginning and save the cost of a second election. But uh, other reasonable people can disagree. Mark is in the Bronx. Hello, Mark. Yeah, I have to say to Mr. Weiner, um, I try not to like you, but I really like you. And I can listen to you and Frank all night. You seem to be a pretty decent guy over a past, besides what went on in the past. Um, what's liberals' obsession with criminals? Why don't you guys like to blame criminals for crime? Why don't you want them in jail? I, I, bl- I don't I, get that. I, you keep saying guns, 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 but criminals are the problem. Bad guys with guns are the problem, not good guys with guns. Mark, let me so let the congressman respond here because well, we're just I, I, a I appreciate, I appreciate the kind words, Mark, um, and I'll come back anytime that, that, that Frank in, invites me. I'm getting, I'm getting some, some wind in my sails here. I, I think criminals should go to prison, and I think that they should be held accountable for their deeds just the same way I was. And uh, uh, we'll squeeze in one more here. Audrey will make you our last, uh, last caller to Anthony Weiner. Hello. Thank you, Frank. And uh, Mr. Weiner, what, what is your take on um, this redistricting that abruptly happened with the congressional lines in uh, New York State, where it gives, um, seems to me Republicans more weight? What do you think about that? I, I think I appreciate what you I think that redistricting happens every 10 years. It's in the Constitution. I'm glad that we do it. I think the way the Democrats try to grab, they, they were piggish about it, and we probably should have had lines that were better for Democrats but got thrown out because they went against the will. The, the people in 2015 said they wanted nonpartisan districting, and my Democratic colleagues ignore that, and now they're paying for it. All right. Uh, covered a lot of ground there in the last two hours. There's still uh, pages of stuff that I didn't get to. We're just going to have to have you back in the future. Uh, by the way, one thing, uh, you mentioned Nancy Pelosi earlier. Her husband got uh, in, uh, in trouble for this DUI. I, I know he's got a lot of money. If you have that kind of money... Why would anyone not have a driver all the time? That's one thing I can't understand. As someone that has known at least one of those Pelosi's, any insight into As that? someone who takes the M15 select bus to get here, I, I'm not really much on I, I actually know him. I know him. I've met him a few times. He seems like a nice enough fellow. I, I, um, I, I don't think anyone should drink and drive, period. All right. Uh, well, certainly good advice. All right. Anthony Weiner, you can hear him every Saturday at 2 p.m. on The Anthony Weiner Show. You can listen to him battle Curtis from 3 to 4 every Saturday. And uh, you can hear him periodically on The Cats at Night Show. I hope you had fun. This was a lot of hours. fun. I'd love to do it again. I'm serious Thank about you. that. Anytime you want. You want to email me. Um, you want to send me. I'm getting both praise and hate mail right now. If you want to pile on, you can email me, frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. And, and, and I'm at, at wienerwabc at gmail. wienerwabc at gmail.com, frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. Coming up in a minute, we will do commendations because 
because we missed Monday's show for Memorial Day. A lot of people that deserve a pat on the back. I'll tell you my list. And then we'll take your calls and talk cigars a little bit later as well. A lot to get to. We're going to get to it all. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until then, keep asking questions. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting two hours with Anthony Weiner. I hope you did, too. If not, if you're one of the people that was waiting till Anthony Weiner left, you're free to listen again. This is now a Weiner-free zone after a fashion. All right. Uh, we're going to talk cigars with Gary Korb next hour. But first, there are a lot of people that deserve some praise. And usually we do this on Monday. But this is one of those days where it's the first day back to work for a lot of us. So it feels like a Monday for a lot of us. And again, I know a lot of folks ended up working yesterday. I know Dominic Carter worked. I know Lydia was here doing the morning show with our boss, John Katsimatidis. But there were a lot of us that enjoyed the three-day weekend. And uh, there is no reason that we're going to skip, just because we were off on Monday, this week's edition of... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must begin uh, sincerely and most enthusiastically with a posthumous commendation for all of America's fallen servicemen. Uh, this is something that uh, I'm sure has been repeated a great deal over the course of the last 48 hours. But if um, it's th- these people who gave their lives in service of the United States of America, they didn't have the luxury of questioning the cause that they were going to die for. Some were conflicts they probably shouldn't have been in. Some were conflicts that were very meritorious. But the one thing that every serviceman that has in common Every that every serviceman that's died has in common is that they knew when putting on that uniform that they could die for their country. And uh, that enormity of sacrifice is something that I'll never stop being in awe of. And what I did over the weekend, and I linked to this on my Facebook page, you can see it at Facebook.com slash Moreno fan, is I researched the ages of every serviceman that's died in uniform for the United States. And the thing that's staggering is, you know, different servicemen die in different places. But the thing that's staggering over the course of the last hundred, couple of hundred years is the age of these people and how young these folks are. At a time when I didn't even have my head screwed on straight, these are people that were literally risking their lives for the country, and uh, I have, I'm very much in awe of that. 
I want to give a commendation to Tom Turkic. I hope I'm pronouncing this name correctly. Tom Turkic is an impressive guy. He has been, for, he's from New Jersey, I believe Haddon Township. Tom Turkic, 33 years old, has spent the last seven years walking around the world. He completed his journey last week, and after seven years, he has visited on foot 35 countries, six continents, even reached Antarctica via a 6,000-ton research vessel. To me, this is incredible, absolutely incredible. And um, you talk about a once I don't know that anybody's ever done anything like this in history. And the, the history of the world, there's not a lot of things that you can say that no one has done. I'm pretty confident that no one has done this on foot, at least in the, not in the last few thousand years. I give this guy a A-plus and a commendation for stick-to-itiveness. I give him an A-plus for um, focus for athleticism and commitment. Absolutely. I want to commend the folks in New Jersey who are restoring the graves of veterans that have fallen into disrepair. The Hudson County Genealogical and Historical Society found how many veterans' graves in New Jersey were in a total state of disrepair. And Patrick Cullen, who's the town historian for West New York, he mobilized this army of volunteers to get these graves restored and repaired. And I find that pretty impressive. Uh, And uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. I want to give a commendation to Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, a conservative Republican, who ran for office last year on a tough-on-crime image. He announced on Friday something that I think is great. He announced on Friday that he has restored voting and other civil rights to 3,500 ex-felons. In most states, convicted felons automatically regain the right to vote upon completion of their sentences, not in Virginia. Virginia is one of 11 that permanently strip their citizens of the right to vote upon conviction of a felony. So Glenn Youngkin chose to restore the voting rights of these 3,800 people, and I think that is very admirable. I give him a lot of credit for that. I'm a big believer in integrating ex-felons back into society upon completion of their sentence. I want to give um, Krispy Kreme. Some credit. You know what they did on May 25th? I'm not much of a donut person, as my uh, lack of impressive physique may lead you to think. Donuts have never really been my thing. Donuts have never been my vice. But I know a lot of people love donuts, and a lot of people like Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, what they did on Wednesday I thought was so wonderful. For all graduating high school and college seniors... They gave them free donuts, a dozen free donuts at any Krispy Kreme on Wednesday 
if you wore class of 2022 clothing or showed proof of graduation, like a class ring uh, or student ID, I think this is a great idea. And obviously they're just doing it for publicity, but I'm happy to give them the publicity. A lot of people's day get made with some free donuts. And you know what? It's an impressive thing to graduate from high school. It's an impressive thing to graduate from college. So if it gets these folks uh, some complimentary donuts, I think that's that's wonderful. I want to give a commendation to Nathan Paulin. Nathan Paulin has just claimed a new world record after completing a 2.2-kilometer-long walk across a tightrope in France. This French daredevil spent two hours crossing this two-centimeter-wide slack line suspended between a crane and the famous abbey on the tidal island. I mean, 100 meters high, 2.2 kilometers long, and just a couple of centimeters wide. To me, this is incredible. And this is a new world record. He broke his own record for this, by the way. And if you're going to break a record for walking across a tightrope, the least I can do is give you a commendation. I want to commend the commendation. I want to commend the eighth graders at North Andover Middle School in Massachusetts. You know what happened just a few days ago? Massachusetts lawmakers, this is on Thursday formally exonerated Elizabeth Johnson Jr., clearing her name 329 years after she was convicted of witchcraft in 1693 and sentenced to death at the height of the Salem witch trials. Now, she was never executed, but she was also never officially pardoned like others that were accused of witchcraft. So these... These eighth graders in a civics class at North Andover Middle School took up her cause and researched the legislative steps needed to clear her name, and they did it. So they got a state senator in Massachusetts to introduce their their bill, and they did it. Not only do I think it's great that this woman's name has finally been cleared, now she's no longer a witch, but I think this is a great way to teach civics to young people. You know, one of my big complaints about the education system today is that civics education is incredibly lacking. And I think to get young people motivated this way, to get them passionate about a cause and see that you can actually make a difference, I think that's a wonderful way. I think it's a wonderful um, educational instrument. I think that's great what they did here, and I give them a lot of credit. Uh, I want to give a a lot of credit as well and a formal commendation to the organizers and the attendees at the 103rd annual Staten Island Memorial Day Parade, which was held on Forest Avenue. I was there uh, with Rachel and and Carmine. I'll tell you a little bit about it a little later. But uh, we had a great time, and I'm so impressed... In an era where it seems like nobody cares about veterans, no one cares about fallen servicemen, nobody cares about honoring the country, I'm really so impressed at the incredible turnout that this parade 
seems to get every year. And uh, it's a big shout out to everybody that attended, both the politicians like uh, Eric Adams and Andrew Giuliani, but all the veterans groups, all the folks that rode their classic cars, all the marching bands. But really, I think the people that I want to praise the most are the folks that just went and watched and clapped when the floats walked by because of a parade without anybody watching it. It's not much of a parade. So it's a, it's a great parade, and I'm proud to participate every year. I want to also commend everybody who participated in the Murph Challenge yesterday. People across the country did this incredible challenge to honor veterans. And basically, every year, CrossFit gyms, military members, and others take part in this challenge to honor those who lost their lives defending the country, just like Navy Lieutenant Michael Murphy. He lost his life in Afghanistan in 2005, and he was later awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. So what this, what this is, this Murph Challenge, you do a one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then a one-mile run. Now, first of all, I don't think I could do one pull-up, honestly. I think I could, and I don't think, I know I can't do 200 push-ups. I think about 20 is my limit. But, now, does that sound tough? A mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then a one-mile run. Well, if that sounds tough, then think about the fact that you're doing this challenge wearing a weighted vest. These people are like superhuman that do this thing. So I want to give a shout-out and a commendation to everybody that participated all over the country, especially one of my oldest friends in the world, uh, Joe Ween, who uh, I, I go back 23 years with, and his girlfriend, his longtime companion, Charlotte Vesey. They both came over on Saturday, and uh, I forced them to eat some pizza, which they shouldn't have been eating two days before the Murph Challenge. But sure enough, even with my negative influence of forcing them to swallow pizza and beer, they managed to make it through the Murph Challenge. So commendation to everybody that participated, but especially Joe Ween and Charlotte Vesey. And finally, I want to commend the New York State Assembly Speaker, Carl Hasty. He put a stop, or at least a hold, on yet another scheme by certain special interests in Albany to extend control of the legislative branch in government. Um, the big power play that we were hearing about last week is Democratic legislators who wanted to move all the local elections from taking place next year to the following year. Now, you might think, oh, what's the big deal with that? Well, obviously, if you're running for Brewster Town Council or uh, Port Chester Alderman or County Coroner, you know, those issues are generally dictated by the local issues and the races. But the Democrats that are worried about the Republicans doing well this year and next year and, and last year, they said, well, hmm. 
why don't we move it to the even-numbered year so that these elections take place when the Democratic, in a state that's likely to go Democrat, when the presidential election takes place. And basically, this was a scheme to get a whole bunch more Democrats elected. And I give Carl Hasty credit here. Um, and he was praised by a lot of editorial boards that are generally critical of him. And my problem is not only that they were trying to do this, but the way in which several Democratic lawmakers were trying to do it. Now, usually the way it works in Albany is a bill is proposed, it gets sent to a committee that specializes in that legislation, it's debated in committee, sometimes you hear expert testimony in the committee, the committee passes it, and then it goes to the full assembly. What they were going to do is completely bypass the elections committee and have it voted into passage by the full state assembly. They wanted it done under the cover of night. So uh, I think this is a hats off to you, uh, Carl Hasty, because this would have been state government at its worst. This would have been the renaming of the Mario Cuomo Bridge all over again. And I'm glad, at least for the moment, it doesn't appear to be happening. All right. Um, if you have comments on anybody that I have commended, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Wide open phones. Coming up at 430, we'll talk cigars with Gary Korb. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Can't help it if I wonder, wonder what she's doing. Can't help it if I wonder what she's doing. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. My thanks to uh, my friend and colleague, Curtis Slewa for working yesterday at this time and allowing me to ha- have a day off. Although, what would any Curtis overnight appearance be without a substantial amount of inaccuracy? And uh, Curtis, of course, did not disappoint in that realm. Uh, this was Curtis, I believe, yesterday uh, talking about why I was not here yesterday. And tonight, get ready for the spectacular, super spectacular media show, which should light up the sky in what astronomers say will be an all-or-nothing event. It should hit Tuesday morning at about 1 a.m. as Frank Morano, the Mameluke, returns flat broke to the other side of midnight after losing all of his money at the Borgata shooting craps, a weekend extravaganza in which he was shooting dice morning, noon, and night, and he crapped out. His guest, 1 o'clock in the morning Tuesday, Anthony Weiner. Well, it is true that Anthony Weiner was my guest. I was not in Atlantic City. I have not been in Atlantic City since 
6 a.m. on December 31st. I had had a party in Atlantic City on December 30th, and my wife was home sick with our child. She was furious with me for being in Atlantic City, and I drove home super early the next morning so that I could take care of the baby for the rest of the weekend and let her just sit and get some rest. This is the longest stretch of time that I have not been to Atlantic City since I was 19 years old. So I am jonesing to go. I am eager to go. I don't really have a surplus amount of money to gamble with right now. But I saw some of the photos that people were sharing on social media from Atlantic City this weekend. If you're in Atlantic City right now or if you were out there this weekend, I know my friend Frank Fontano was out there celebrating his anniversary with his wife, Tracy. I so envy you because this was one of those perfect weather weekends to spend some time on the beach, to spend some time strolling the boardwalk, what I would not have loved to to do. Um, stroll that boardwalk with a, a couple of drinks. They had a brand, the opening of a bunch of brand new spots there. We'll cover it um, Thursday when we do the AC report. But I would have loved to have been in Atlantic City this weekend or this past weekend. I was not there. Did not spend one second or one dollar in Atlantic City. I'll tell you what we did do. We um on we we did a lot this weekend. I, you know, it's funny. I said to my wife when the weekend was, I was trying to get a nap around seven thirty, eight o'clock, and uh, my wife comes into our bedroom, and I said, you know, I felt guilty because I feel like I should have gotten more done this weekend because it was a three day weekend. And she said, Well, what do you mean? Do you mean more work wise or more socially or? And I said, I don't know. I just I'm I, I feel like I should have gotten more done. But one of the highlights to me was uh, I went to the Memorial Day Parade on Forest Avenue and I go every year. I think I've gone every year as far back as I can remember, quite honestly. I, I, I don't I'm sure I've missed a year or two here or there, but it's been a while. It's been a while. And I really love going. I used to enjoy marching. And now I just go and enjoy standing on the sidelines with my wife. And this year, we took our son Carmine to his very first Memorial Day parade. And I was excited to take him. And by and large, you know, maybe I'm going to I'm going to share a photo of Carmine at uh, at Memorial Day today at the uh, at the parade. And so. I'm going to put that on my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O-Fan. And um, he, by and large, seemed to really like the parade. He liked a lot of the colors. He liked the flags. He liked the bagpipes. Must be the Irish side of him, right? But then there were two things that he didn't care for. He did not enjoy the drums. The marching band had drums. If anything, this cry that you're hearing was a dramatic understatement. Because as much as he hated the drums, or didn't, he actually, you know, he didn't cry when the drums came. When he'd see the people with the drums, he'd shriek. He'd do like a shriek. And then, oh boy, oh boy, he absolutely hated the fire engines. The fire engines would come and they would blare their sirens and he was absolutely...
absolutely furious. This young man was not having it. So I'm glad we got to go. Um, it's really a wonderful parade. I enjoy going every year. And there was a lot of very moving floats and memorials. I have to say one of the most moving ones that I saw was a memorial, a float that was a memorial to the 13 servicemen that were killed in Afghanistan last year. And what it was was four, it was uh, 13, and you could probably find photos of it online, 13, by the way, I just put the photo of Carmine and me at the parade on my Facebook, if you want to watch it, or want to look at it, facebook.com slash fan. It was 13 empty chairs. Um, And then it was with the kind of stuff that they'd be doing if they were still alive. It was a soccer ball. It was a barbecue. It was just very moving. Although I will say one of the things that uh, I found a little bizarre, because clearly whoever put that float together put a lot of work into it. I mean, it's tremendously detailed and very involved. Can't imagine the amount of time they spent on it. But then it's commemorating the date, August 2021, and it says, Kabul, Afghanistan, they misspelled Kabul. And I'm thinking, you know, why would you go to that amount of work and put that amount of time and detail into this and then spell Kabul incorrectly? I don't remember how they spelled it. I think it might have been, I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was, it was incorrect. So I thought that was a little bizarre. Um, but it was great to see so many elected officials of all political parties turn out uh, for this parade. And a lot of would-be elected officials. Uh, Andrew Giuliani was there. Rudy Giuliani was there. Mayor Eric Adams was there. Staten Island Borough President uh, Vito Fasello was there. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis was there. Uh, Democrats like Assemblymember Michael Cusick was there. Councilmember Kamala Hanks. Uh, Republicans like uh, Council Minority Leader Joe Borelli. I was really impressed with the turnout. Judge, uh, civil court judge, my friend Brendan Lantry. So it was uh, a great parade, and uh, I was glad. I was glad to be there, and certainly a lot of fun. All right, eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Ellen is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Frank. Um, I, you know, I just I, I just wanted to say that you know, I really appreciate when you you talk about Atlantic City. Yeah, I, I'm no gambler. I don't know how you do it, and I really don't care. But there's some really good, you know, music, live music down there, and you know, I am tempted. And restaurants, that sounds really cool. And you know, it's just, I don't know why. What what is it with what's his name? Uh, uh, Curtis. You know. I think he's just plain jealous. I don't think so. I, I think he's. Uh, I think he's just having some fun. I, I certainly wow. don't mind. Well, I think he's an idiot. Well, I, you know, I used to. <laughs> yeah, hey, different strokes for different folks, right? That's why there's chocolate yeah. and vanilla. Yeah, well, that was mean. Yeah, but I used to listen to him thirty years ago, and it was just you know, stop already. You know, he sounds. He makes it sound like you're some sort of gambling. You know. It's just, it's not true. 
Well, you know, I, 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 well don't get me wrong, Ellen. I know my way around a craps table, uh, Ellen. But uh, last year, I actually, I, I actually did pretty well. I finished the year a net winner. And whenever you can do that as a gambler, whenever you can finish coming home with more money than you, than you went down with, you're ahead of the game. So last year was a pretty good year. I haven't been down though this year at all. Though. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know how you do it. I really don't care. You know, I, I'd like to try, you know, the slots, you know, once or twice. And if I don't win anything, that's fine. You know, I'll I'll go find. You know, it's something else to do. But, you know, it's just, you have a fun show. That's all I wanted to say. Well, that's very kind of I you, mean, Ellen. Thank you. I tune in every night. I'm an insomniac. Wonderful. Well, but, good. We need you for all four hours. Hopefully you don't sleep till five. That's the uh, bottom line. Thank you. <laughs> 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. By the way, um, I don't know if Curtis is going to be back here on Friday. I don't know what the plan is. I will try and find out by the time I'm here tomorrow. But I'm actually off on Friday and Monday as well because, I've told you about this before, uh, my brother Nicholas is getting married uh, next weekend in Hawaii. So right after Thursday's show, I'm flying out to Hawaii. It's about, I think, a 12-hour flight. I have a layover in California. And then I am uh, going to go there for the wedding and then come back, and I am uh, going to be here in time for Tuesday morning's show. My, I think I have to check my flight times and everything, but I think I'm basically going to go right from the airport Tuesday morning, a week from today, to here, to the radio station. So uh, that's the nice thing about those 12-hour flights, plenty of time to do some reading, to collect your thoughts. I, you know what? I don't love the process of traveling. I don't like to pack. I don't like to um, go through the metal detectors or the magnetometers, whatever they call them. I don't like to have to get there two hours early. I don't like to have to wait in line. I don't like to get your shoes off. There's so many aspects of airline travel that I find so incredibly demeaning. But all that being said, I don't mind a long flight because if you're like me and you don't get to sleep a lot, it's a perfect opportunity to sleep. If you're like me and you don't get to read as much as you like to, I'm going to bring a book. I may bring two books. I am looking forward to having eight, nine, ten hours uninterrupted to read on the airplane. So I, I like that. And um, you you can have a few drinks on the airplane now. I think they all brought back drink service. So I could sit there, read. I might bring my um, mobile phone, which I think if you put it in airplane mode, you can listen to a couple of podcasts. There's a couple of podcasts that I'm listening to. And uh, sometimes the film selection on these airplanes is quite good. So I'm thinking I'll have time to read, sleep, have a couple of uh, bourbons, and maybe even watch a motion picture. So I, I'm looking forward to that. The thing that I really like about airports, though, if there's one thing, and this is the primary reason that I got an American Express Platinum card, even though the idea of American Express Platinum card or any American Express card made no sense to me from the beginning. Well, you mean you have to pay it off every month? Yes. Okay, so I have to pay it off every month. I can't carry a balance. Yes. Okay, so I have to pay you a fee for having a card that I have to pay off every month? Yes. Well, what exactly are you doing for me? 
Not much. Okay, so what's the point? One of the few things that's a real benefit of the American Express Platinum Card is they give you access to the airport lounges. I love these airport lounges. Now, it used to be very good. You used to have very access to just about every lounge with these Platinum Cards. But I've noticed the last couple of times I tried to travel, I feel like there's all these loopholes that prevent me from getting access to these American Express to these airport lounges. So you go to a, a you know you look up okay this airport lounge in this airport accepts American Express Platinum cards. Great. I go in. Oh, so sorry you can't bring in a passenger a, you, a friend with you. That's going to be fifty dollars. Oh well, then what's the point? I've now lost any potential savings here. So um, then you go to another thing. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You can't use the Delta Sky Club unless you're flying Delta. Oh, sorry. Yeah, unless it's a, unless it's a full moon out and uh, your flight is between 1230 and 130. Yeah, no, sorry. So I'm hoping I can gain access. I'm flying out of Newark. So I'm hoping I'll have some access to one of these airport lounges on uh, on Friday morning. I am a little bummed uh, my wife is not coming with me. I've never been to Hawaii before. This is my first trip there, and I would have loved uh, for my first trip to be with with Rachel, but she's staying home to work and staying home with our son, our six-month-old son. But um, I'm looking forward to the trip nonetheless. It is interesting. So I have three siblings. So Nicholas is the one that's getting married. My other siblings are Alexander and Claudia. So the three of us, Alexander, Claudia, and myself have agreed to give a joint speech at the wedding, right? The three of us are going to give some sort of a joint toast. So we had a meeting yesterday. We were at my dad's, and we had a meeting yesterday about how the mechanics of this speech were going to go. And we we started working through some rough ideas. But I, I am concerned not about the substance of the speech because I feel like we'll have some good anecdotes, we'll have some good things, some funny stuff, some serious stuff. But the mechanics of it, I really want it to pop. I really want it to pop. So we're working on the choreography of that. But it's like whenever you write anything with commit with a committee, it's always it's always challenging. You know, they say a donkey is a horse that's been built by a committee, and the collaborative writing process was not as productive as I'd hoped. Now, you remember, this was the wedding that I, I told you about. My brother and his fiance, they said they didn't want any gifts because it's a destination wedding. They recognize it's a big inconvenience for people. It's a big expense for people. And I said to you at the time, I said, well, you know, should I get a gift anyway? Some of you said yes. Some of you said no. So the other day, I'm at dinner at my dad's, and my sister Claudia is there. Not my brother Nick, just my sister Claudia. And I said, Claudia, what are you doing in terms of a gift? Because obviously if she gives a gift and I don't, then I look like a real dope. So I want to make sure we're kind of on the same page. So Claudia said, no, I'm not giving a gift. We took him to dinner. You know, I'm going to uh, my, you know, his fiance's name is Kat. Going to Cat's bachelorette party, we're paying for that. Uh, they said no gifts. They were adamant about no gifts. I'm not giving it a gift. So my father, who very rarely makes his opinion heard on this subject, 
turns to Claudia, and he's kind of stoic, and he could be very tall. He could be pretty intimidating, and even when he doesn't mean to be. He says to Claudia, no, 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 you should give a gift. So he seems to think that we should give a gift. So I guess that's what we'll end up doing. Well, at least that's what I'm going to end up doing, I think. So we'll see. By the way, speaking of that, um, so if you have further thoughts on that, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I'm looking forward to talking with uh, Gary Korb, and um, he's with cigaradvisor.com. We were talking about what to do in terms of cigars in Hawaii, if we should buy them there or if we should bring cigars I'm going to ask Gary Korb what the smarter decision in terms of cigar availability and in terms of cigar costs is. Because apparently it's a pretty nice place to smoke a cigar. By the way, in terms of that bachelorette party, my wife went to that on Saturday. And they had a great time. Uh, my wife actually said they had a, everyone had a, a wonderful time. And one, it was one of the more fun bachelorette parties that she's she's been to. So it was nice. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Aaron is in New Jersey. Hello, Aaron. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know you brought up about the renaming of the Mary Cuomo Bridge, that it was stopped. Um, just wanted to ask you details about that and, and why you think uh, it's good that it wasn't renamed. What, uh, when, that it wasn't renamed? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it still may be renamed by the end of the session. I don't see a lot of supporters for it, uh, so I, I could see it being renamed, actually. So you're pro that or, or against it? Well, I mean, I don't spend a lot of my time worrying about renaming bridges. I tend to think there are more important things. But, yeah, I, I, w- I don't think it should have been renamed for Mario Cuomo to begin with. I would have liked to have kept it the Tappan Zee Bridge. And uh, I think the manner in which they went about renaming it was uh, the worst kind of politics, just like with that legislation that I was talking about, what they were trying to do in the assembly uh, the other day. So if I had to choose between naming it the Tappan Zee Bridge or keeping it the Mario Cuomo Tappan Zee Bridge, yes, I'd rename it the Tappan Zee Bridge. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And one, just one more thing about, I mean, in general, the the uh, the whole government um, how they're against, uh, I guess you would call it reappealing or appealing the, the law that they put in Well, place who, who's they? What do you mean the, by they? The, I guess it would be the Assembly and the, the State Assembly and, and uh, whoever else is, I guess, in power in the, in the state government there, the, the powers to be, um, when they put together the law of uh, letting out the criminals on uh, what they call the no-bail law. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to go and, and uh, Hoko, when she got in, wanted to repeal, uh, repeal that law. And they, like, put up a wall against her and said, no, we're not doing it. Right. So what's your question exactly? I'm just making a comment about that. You know, the I guess it's the same assembly that, that you know, against uh not against it that that's pro the i guess the no bail the no bail law you know we're dealing we're not dealing with with uh assembly that's you know got a good track record as far as issues in general yeah well that's true aaron and um there thank you for the call 
And that's really why the key to all this stuff, in my view, is political reform, is until we can reform how our elections take place and who gets to participate in those elections, who gets to run and everything regarding the process, I think you're going to see more laws like that, unfortunately. Uh, I really do. I, that's my concern. 800-848-9222. Liam is in Brooklyn. Hello, Liam. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm great, Liam. How are you? Listen, I love listening to your show. Um, you bring, you know, your personal life into it and let us know what's going on. And it's quite, in- quite interesting. Thanks. That's nice uh, of you. Hear. Appreciate it. I've been to Hawaii once, and I'm telling you, man, you're going to love it. I know you said you wish your wife would come with you, but uh, I think when you come back and you're going to be talking about all the things that you saw and, and, and did over there, she's going to want payback and she's going to want to go with you. So um, uh, I'm glad you're going, and it's going to be one hell of a time. As far as cigars and everything, you got to bring it from here because if, if, if this, everything is so expensive, like mm. a gallon of milk can be like $6. It's because they got to bring everything from the mainland. Um, so that's 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 what I would say. And as far as your credit card is is, is concerned, uh, I, what are you, you flying United, right? Uh, I don't remember what I'm flying. You know, I, I'm a guy, Liam, that sort of I, I look at what I have to get through today and tomorrow. So I, I'll have to look at what <laughs> I don't remember what I booked, because- honestly. Because if you're going through California, that's what you're doing. So you won't have access to the lounge. But I'm familiar, pretty familiar with the credit card. There's a lot of benefits, like skipping the security line and everything that you get for free. Uh, you just not you got to really read up on what you got over there, and uh, you, you it's a really good card to have if you travel. So, All right. well, that's good uh, to know. Yeah, let me see what I am flying here. It says uh, let me pull up my email here. Um, Newark to yeah, United. Yes, you were right, United. So you want to get the when you're in, uh, in LAX, you're gonna to want to get that pri- is a priority pass, you, uh, which is a, a like a lounge network for American Express. You can download that. Um, you can sign up for Claire, which you skip to the, the head of the security line. Right, but wouldn't have um, I I've had to do that already? I'm not gonna be able to get that done by Thursday, right? Uh, no, you can do it at the airport. Oh, I, mean, I can. You should sign up. You can sign up online and add your wife. If you do it through uh, Delta's Frequent Flyer Club or, or or United, you get a discount, and you add your wife for $30 a year. Hmm. You and sound like uh, you, you know, know your stuff here, Liam. I like this. Listen, man, if you want to have a conversation off the air, you can take my number, and we can uh, we can chat. I appreciate that, uh, Liam. Thank you. You can email me as well, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I do check all of my uh, emails. So, And I'm not going through LAX. I'm going through uh, San Francisco, actually. So that's that. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I cannot let the morning go by um, without going into this story um, that the New York Post has. A There may be four, count them, four extraterrestrial civilizations in the Milky Way, and this is where it gets frightening, that could attack our planet. That is according to a pretty respected PH, uh, researcher on this subject. Alberto 
Caballero, who will look up. I don't know how his English is, but if his English is good, then maybe we'll invite him on this show to explain why. But he's a student, a Ph.D. student at the University of Vigo in Spain. He has authored a study which in the International Journal of Astrobiology, which is a real scientific journal, in which he claimed that he pointed the so-called wow signal. The signal, which was first detected by a radio telescope in 1977, was a strange minute-long burst of radio energy that may have originated from a sun-like star 1,800 light-years from the Earth. It was first received by the Big Ear Telescope at Ohio State University, and it's considered one of the it, it, and it's considered the best candidate signal of extraterrestrial life since humans began searching more than 60 years ago. So Cavaliero's paper, which is titled "Estimating the Prevalence of Malicious Extraterrestrial Civilizations," has some limitations. He's admitted. The research has not been peer-reviewed by other astronomers. That's always a red flag. And the paper is considered to be more of a thought experiment. All right, so take it for what it's worth. So he warns scientists to use caution in the practice of what they call METI, M-E-T-I, messaging extraterrestrial intelligence for fear that it could provoke an alien invasion. Wow. So he's basically saying, don't spend all your time announcing to the galaxy that there's life here, because if one of these aliens is mean, they could say, oh, life? I didn't know that. Let's go invade them. So Caballero conceded that the odds of extraterrestrials wiping out the human species is about the same as the planet being destroyed by a global catastrophe asteroid. Well, that's happened before. Well, not destroyed, but life on the planet was destroyed. He wrote that such an event takes place once every hundred million years. So humans are in all likelihood safe for the time being. So in putting together this study, Caballero researched humans' invasions of other countries over the last 50 years. He then used that data and applied it to the number of known exoplanets in our galaxy, which um, Italian scientist Claudio Macchione estimated to be around 15,785. Using the frequency of human conflict, which has decreased in the last half century as technology has advanced and applying math to outer space, Caballero estimates that there could be four malicious alien civilizations. Yeah, I find this very flawed. The more I hear about it, the more flawed that I find it. He says, I did the paper based only on life as we know it. Well, but that's the thing. An extraterrestrial civilization, isn't that a pretty broad assumption that they're going to do things the way that we do them? So I don't know about you. If you want to comment on this, you can. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. I'm not too worried about one of these four malicious extraterrestrial civilizations. Are you? 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. 
WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. You know who's the lead vocalist there? CeeLo Green. I got to tell you, I got to see CeeLo Green last Thursday night, uh, right before Friday morning show, at that Tracy Morgan event that I attended. A big thank you is again to Lauren Conlon for uh, inviting me to that. It was a lot of fun. But um, I always knew CeeLo Green was a good singer. But I'll tell you, to see him perform in person without any special amplification or not doing anything, you know, not jazzing up his his lyrics at all. Uh, really, an incredible performance. Really, really something special. So, uh, and by the way, I hope you appreciate that instead of taking the night off and going to party with CeeLo Green at the after party, whereas I understand that he threw back quite a bit of tequila, I came here and diligently answered your questions on the radio. So this is the voice that I could have been drinking tequila with. Maybe he could have given me some karaoke tips, right? You never know. 800-848-WABC, if you want to comment on anything we're talking about. Uh, we're going to talk cigars with Gary Korb at 430. Let me say hello to Al in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, good morning, Frank. Uh, good morning. Sounds like you have a nice trip planned ahead. Uh, question, are you going first class? No. No, I, I think I'm I'm practically in steerage. You know where the pets travel, where, wherever the you know the the pets in that section of the airplane. That's where I am. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Listen, um, if you can, you, you, I don't know if you have any kind of miles or previous flights. I know you had to to Italy and stuff. If you can, when you check in, if you check in early, ask the stewardess. I mean, like the stewardess, the person behind the counter, very nicely. Hey, could uh, I ask for an upgrade? Or if anything does pop up. Because you never know how the planes work, because a lot of times it's weights and balances. And if you're way in the back there, they take people from the back there and will fill them into business or first, strictly, even sometimes without cost. But if you're on their radar for that, they may do that. And if you have miles, that helps too. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever signed up uh, for uh, frequent mile, frequent flyer miles. I, I may have to do that. I don't know if it comes automatically with my credit card or something, but. No, you got it. You, I have you to do that. Very well, Miles. Yeah. And guess what? Yet that trip there is going to be about, I would say, five thousand there, five thousand back. That's about eleven thousand miles. You're halfway to a domestic trip. So okay. Well, so so what should I do? I should I contact go. United for that, or should I contact my credit card? Call United now. Get uh, on board, right? But when you get there, check in early, okay, and say, listen, I have to have a uh, American Express card. Blah blah blah. Do I have any mileage? Could I possibly ask for an upgrade? Because if it's not really, right now flights aren't really still full yet. You know, like it used to, they were way, way back. 
So guess what? You're on their radar for, hey, listen, his business class is, well, first class, huge difference. Because it's like you flying to Rome and coming back, wow, that's a, that's a headache. Just going to Rome is bad, you know what I mean? But now imagine you take a little break and now you head right back. Well, that's what Hawaii is. I've been to 49 states. I've never been there, but I've been to Tokyo. Let me tell you, you, you don't want to be 17 hours on a plane. It's a horror story. So get the best seat you can if it's possible. And a lot of times you'll get a freebie. And, and one last thing is if you can't do any of that, try to get what they have these inflatable air pillows. They cost $20 on Amazon, even Home Depot sells them. Not a, your, home, your Home Depot. It's a little thing that you kind of inflate and you can rest your head on it. And it supports you. And you can actually go to sleep. So that's uh, about 20 bucks. That works real good. And if the plane is really empty, you can go in the way in the back. If there's nobody sitting there, you put three or four seats down, lift the armrest up, and you just lay right across. I've done that. And I can't tell you, it's like it's like sleeping in a bed, you know? Well, well hey, so, Al, I will look into it. Thank you. I can fall asleep um, under most circumstances. You know, I think that's a function of of uh, not getting enough sleep during the week. <laughs> you could fall asleep pretty easily. 800-848-WABC. Bill is in Brooklyn. Hello, Bill. Good morning, sir. What, uh, is my radio too loud? I'll lower it. I, I, I can't even hear it, Bill. I think you're good. Good. Quick uh, uh, mention, I'd like all this, uh, you know, this crime going on. It's all over the United States. I worked in the court system for, for decades. and you know, it's just, uh, it makes me sick when I see the media say, oh, tragedy. Is it th- that Texas incident was not a tragedy. It was an attack by a coward. Okay, and all these guys are cowards. The guy in the subway is a coward. They're, they're animals. But anyway, when I was back in the courts, I, I couldn't believe what I would hear. Time after time, whether it, uh, a guy ran someone over in the street or someone went into the 7-Eleven and they shot the cashier to death, they let everybody out. They let everybody out. No one. They don't want no jail. We want to live in fantasy world. And everyone to this. And, we're not. and when you have a breakdown of the criminal justice system, you have total disorder. And now you have what we have today. No one's afraid to go to to get punished because our society says, "Oh, we don't punish people no more." And now you're gonna you're gonna keep having these incidents like Texas. It's not gonna stop. It's not gonna stop. All right. You have to have common sense, and you have to take the person, meaning the judge, out of the equation. You can't let a person, meaning a human being, decide someone's fate. Well, it has to be I mean, mandatory and Bill, thank you very much for the call. We're out of time for this hour, but unfortunately, and again, I want to get into a whole bail reform discussion, but. With bail reform in New York, that's exactly what happened. The judge was taken out of the equation. And now the judges are not really able to take into account the... They're not able to use their own discretion. And essentially they have to let these folks go without bail when you'll have a judge that a lot of times knows that a person is likely to reoffend. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Friday. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, one of the things that everybody tells you before you become a parent is that once you become a parent, your perspective changes. And it certainly does, at least in my case. And now I find myself looking at everything, the whole world really, through what I will be able to teach my son about. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about his education, not just teaching him to read and write and use a computer, not just teaching him how to, you know, how to um, participate, how to play ping pong or baseball and things of that nature, but his cultural education. And one of the things that I, I think we all recognize is that there are certain literature, there's certain books that you need to have read in order to function in a meaningful way in society, right? You need to have a common frame of reference. You need to have at least read the Cliff Notes version of Romeo and Juliet, for instance, right? You at least have to know who Romeo is and who Juliet is. That'll help you get by in life because there's so many references to Romeo and Juliet in society that you need to at least understand it. We've had the discussion again and again. I mentioned The Godfather with Anthony Weiner earlier. We've had the discussion again and again about certain movies that you need to have seen. You don't need to have seen it a hundred times, but you need to actually, you need to understand what these films are about in order to function in a meaningful way in society. You know, one is Star Wars. One is The Godfather. One is Casablanca. One is Gone with the Wind. One is The Wizard of Oz. These are all films that you at least need to have an understanding of. By the time somebody comes and says, oh, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, that's something you need to know where that's from. If somebody uses that line, whether they're, you know, and whether you're 12 or 60 and you're staring at them like you have a blank expression, they're going to look at you like you're an idiot, right? Oh, come on. Wizard of Oz? Who hasn't seen The Wizard of Oz? Sound of Music, that's another one. There's just all these works of art, film, books, etc., that you need to have understood. You know, uh, for instance, I think even though you're you're not supposed to learn about the Bible in public school, you have to know the story of Adam and Eve. You have to know the story of Cain and Abel. You have to know the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments. You you have to know the basic Reader's Digest version of what happened with Jesus in the Gospels, right? There's just certain things you need to get by in society, right? Do we agree with that? Is that a basic framework? You know, a fellow that I really admired and uh, was a close friend of mine before he passed away was Herb London. And Herb London was the founder of the school at New York University that I attended, Gallatin, uh, the Gallatin School of Individualized Study. And he started this book. It was a lot different by the time I went there. But he started this, this school at NYU with one goal, to make sure that the students who attended this school had read 
the great books of the Western world. And they weren't all right-wing books or left-wing books. In fact, there was exposure to, to both. But you would not go through college if you went to this school without having some basic understanding of Marx, of Plato, of all these writers that made Western civilization and the written word what it is. Now, where does that leave us? Why are we talking about this? Because I was thinking to myself, I don't know what prompted it, but I was thinking to myself the other day that I'm glad. Oh, I remember. I remember exactly what it was. I saw that they're doing a remake of the Munsters. You remember how great the Munsters was? The Munsters, I love the Munsters. Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster, this guy that acted like, um, uh, you know, that looked like Frankenstein. Grandpa Al Lewis as Grandpa Munster, who I actually got to know before he passed away and was a fascinating, fascinating man. But I got I was got to thinking, I said, look, I was not on I, I that show was not on in new episodes when I was growing up at its target age range. Yeah, see, you, you immediately know the music. You know it. And the only reason I was exposed to that show is because someone in my life, I don't remember if it was my grandmother, I don't remember if it was my dad, I don't remember if it was a friend of my dad's, I don't remember who. I, I, I don't know if it was my mom. But someone in my life thought that when I was young... It made sense to tape episodes of the Munsters when they aired on whatever channel they aired on and show them to me. And they gave me tapes of the Munsters and the Adams Family and all these shows. And if they hadn't done that, I would have been totally culturally ignorant. So one of the things that I thought might be fun to do in the next 10 to 12 minutes before we talk cigars with Gary Korb is now I'm going to be in a similar position with my son to insist that he reads certain books that are going to prepare him for society, to insist that he watches certain motion pictures that he's going to need to get by in. And yes, to make sure he's been exposed to enough classic television to at least understand what's going on. You remember, you know, Curtis Lewa, when he would call into the Cats at Night show, they would play as his theme, Car 54, Where Are You? That was his theme. That was the theme for Curtis calling in. And one of the people on the show had no idea what that theme song was from. And they thought that this was a theme song that was just written and created for Curtis Lewa. And I remember recently they had on um, Tony Lobianco from the French Connection on that show. And he's been a guest on this show as well. And and Lydia throws to a clip of the French Connection that Tony Lobianco's not in. And she says to Tony Lobianco, oh, isn't that a great clip? Tell us about it. And Tony Lobianco says, oh, well, that's actually Gene Hackman, not me. And I thought, I guess she never and, – and she said, I never saw the movie. So I'm wondering not what are the best TV shows of all time. That's not my question. 
My question for you at 1-800-848-WABC is what are the TV shows that I need to show my son in order for him to have at least a baseline pop cultural reference of what's going down in society? 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. I came up with one, two, I came up with about seven, but I could probably make the list about 20 off the top of my head. But I don't really want to sit there and show them 20 TV shows. Kids watch too much TV. And this is not even including the stuff that's on today. But what are the shows that you absolutely have to have seen in order to get by? The equivalent, the television equivalent of Romeo and Juliet. The television equivalent of the Bible. The television equivalent of The Godfather. What is an absolute must-watch as a television program? 800-848-9222. Something which, if you haven't seen, you're going to have a whole lifetime of references that you don't get. 800-848-9222. One I find very obvious. And it's probably not only one of the great television shows of all time, but one of the great great classic pieces of comedy of all time. Hello, friends. I'm your body meat of Edgemen girl. Are you tired, run down, listless? Do you poop out at parties? Are you unpopular? The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. A uh, little bottle. <laughs> uh, body meat of Edgemen. <laughs> Vitamin Benjamin contains vitamins, meat, vegetables, and minerals. Uh, yes, with Vitamin Benjamin, you can spoon your way to hell. Now, um, I love Lucy. Obviously, one of the great classic television programs at the time. That episode happens to be a classic, Vitamin Benjamin. If you don't get references to Lucy, and Ricky, and little Ricky, and Fred and Ethel, you're going to be up the creek without a paddle. So to me, I'm not saying I Love Lucy is one of the great shows of all time. I'm not. But it's a classic that I think you have to see. So that's one that we're going to show to our son. I, I haven't discussed this with Rachel, but I think she'll be on board. Another one is, I think, very obvious. It's a show that has... it's has defined a big portion of my existence, a big portion of what we end up doing on this show. To me, one of the great television programs of of all time. And even if it, you don't think that it's great, it's a classic. Even if you don't think that it's a classic, there's been so much that's been derivative of it over the last 55 years that I think, even if you don't like it, even if it's not your thing, You have to have seen... Dr. McCoy is right in pointing out the enormous danger potential in any contact with life and intelligence as fantastically advanced as this. But I must point out that the possibilities, the potential for knowledge and advancement is equally great. Risk. Risk. Risk, Risk is, is our, our business. business. That's what the starship is all about. 
That's why we're aboard her. Oh, I, I tell you, I still get goosebumps listening to that Kirk monologue by William Shatner. I mean, my goodness. And I happen to actually rewatch that episode when I couldn't sleep uh, this past week. It is a wonderful, wonderful. It's from season two. And the doctor in that episode actually goes on to be uh, goes on to play uh, Dr. Pulaski on Star Trek The Next Generation. I think the um, I think the episode is returned to tomorrow. It's really well done. Uh, Star Trek is certainly something that I think is an instant classic. So I want to make a list here. I've got about seven. I'll give you some more of mine, but I'd rather hear yours. 800-848-WABC. Speaking of Star Trek. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. What are the shows that are absolutely required viewing for every American to function in society at large? Let me begin with Sean in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean. Sean. All right. Thank you, Sean. Pamela in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Oh, a definite one that we, my husband and I always reference, especially when I go into the garden. He says, are you going to cut the blooms off? Uh, Adam's family. I am with you on that, and I'm glad I got exposed to that one as a child, too. Now, let me ask you this. If you had a choice of Adam's family or the Munsters or both, it, not in terms of enjoyment, but in terms of cultural education, what would you choose? Do you think Do you think Adam's family is more important than the Munsters? Are they equally important? What do you think? Oh, I think they're equally important because it was um, pretty neat the way um, their their niece that lived with them. She was so beautiful. Yeah, and um, they always called her like Marilyn. Oh, she's the ugly duckling, Marilyn. Right. Uh, of the family, she's the ugly duckling. So each one of them had a moral and a social connection. Okay, I, I'm with it, you. So you, if you would put both Adam's family and the monsters on the list, oh, absolutely. And as a kid, we used to watch them together. I mean, they were in reruns when I was old enough to understand them. You know, because they didn't last very long. I don't think people got it back then. They only yeah. were on the air for like two years. But it was like, in fact, my, my husband right now, it's on MeTV, and like on, uh, at 6 o'clock, he's like, oh, I got to run. I got to watch the Munsters. Uh, that, uh, I, I, well, Pamela, that's a good one. 800-848-WABC. We're going to try again with Sean in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean. Hey, uh, I actually have two if I could, but one that I was going to mention is the Brady Bunch. You know, that's on my list, too. And that's one of those shows that I find, honestly, not that great. But it's so often referenced that I think you do have to at least have a working knowledge of the best episodes of the series, like this one. Me too. I'm really looking forward to Saturday night, Dad. I hate to say goodbye, too. Bye. Doug? Yeah? When you come back to Earth, would you please go tell the boys to come in and straighten up their room? Yeah. 
Oh, let's take a look at it, honey. It's getting bigger by the minute. I think we better get her to a doctor right away. I hope it isn't broken. What's the difference? There goes my date with Doug. Sean, um, so I'm with you. I think the Brady Bunch is a big part of everybody's cultural education. What else would you put on your list? Oh, uh, I wanted to mention um, Three's Company. Um, I know that was a little later, but... Well, no, no, I mean, yeah, I I have shows on my list from the 90s and the 2000s. So the question is not the era. The question is, what must you have seen in order to get some baseline understanding of, of culture? Yeah, and, and Three's Company really kind of, like, uh, gave you an idea of what was happening in the 70s, you know? I mean, what, um, how the culture was changing, how people were living, uh, how people were living together, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, also just um, the Americana aspect I wanted to mention regarding uh, Florence Henderson. Florence Henderson was really like the mom to all of right. us in america as we were growing up you know well i think there were and thank you sean and i want to try and get in as many people as we can here i think there were a lot of television moms that fit that bill you had florence kent henderson but you also had the mom on leave it to beaver you had them uh, even though the show was about fathers the mom on father knows best the mom was always this idyllic character that always seemed to have the right answer Never, uh, never make up or hair out of place. Always a fresh cooked meal and a martini for the husband when he came home. Right. What else? What are the shows that are essential viewing for? Again, it doesn't have to be from the 50s. Doesn't have to be from the 60s. Shows that you absolutely have to have seen in order to function in society. Because I have got some shows on my list here from the 90s and the 2000s. What's on your list? Let me say hello to John in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, John. Yeah, Happy Days. Happy Days is a good one. That would be on my list. I think you got to absolutely at least know who Fonzie is. you got to know who Richie Cunningham is if you're going to get by in society. Let me say hello to Jim in New Hampshire. Hello, Jim. Frank, it's obvious. All in the family. It was hilarious, but Archie Bunker was the epitome of a bigot, but he was a caricature, and they addressed all the issues of society. I you agree with you. All in the I, I agree with you. To me, that absolutely is on my list. Do you think Jimmy is roaming around the White House tonight trying to find a meatloaf to warm himself up on? <laughs> I don't think the car does eat meatloaf. <laughs> Who the hell are they? They're all eating Georgia. <laughs> oh, let me tell you something. I am so sick of Washington and all its works and all them politicians down there and them congressmen and the congressmen, boy. I'll bet you won't find none of them congressmen turning down their electric blankets tonight. Because if they did, their secretaries would get up and go home. <laughs> Uh, 800-848-9222. Fred is in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, good morning, Frank. The classic of all time, the little rascals. Don't drink the milk. Why? It's It's spoiled. spoiled. Yeah. You know, I love the little rascals, and um, that's certainly a classic. I do wonder, and obviously you're the, the guy that calls about the little rascals. Are there enough 
references to the little rascals on a daily basis that you absolutely have to have seen it. I feel like you could get by not having seen the little rascals and still function in society, but you don't agree. It may have choked Artie, but it ain't going to choke Stymie. <laughs> uh, where are you on that one, Matt Blaze? Because uh, so far I'm in agreement with just about everything everybody has said. I think, and again, it's not a criticism of the Little Rascals. Yeah. But, but I, I think you can get by without having seen the Little Rascals. I agree. It's a classic, but it's not a reference show right. Right. that much. It, it, it's. I'm talking about it's the television equivalent of not knowing the alphabet, right? You need to know the alphabet in able to function, right? Realistically. What is the television equivalent of the alphabet? Brady Bunch is. I think All in the Family is. I think I Love Lucy is. I think Star Trek is. And I'll tell you, a show a little bit later that dominated the 90s, which I think absolutely is as elemental to the history of television and to the history of television education as anything else is. I mean, maybe she just likes me for me. Hey, hey, you want these? I don't want them. What? I stink! I can't play! The ball is just sitting there, Jerry, and I can't hit it. I only hit one really good ball that went way out there. Well, what happened? I have no concentration. <laughs> what's, what's, what's wrong with you? Sand. I can't get rid of the sand. <laughs> but there's still some in here. It won't go away. Look at that. I even got sand in the pockets. Hey, come on. You're getting it all over the floor. The, uh, Seinfeld. To me, that absolutely fits the bill. All right. Let's go through as many of these as we can here. Frank in Queens. Hello. Yeah, good morning, Frank. I think I'm in the same category as Fred. I was going to mention uh, the old uh, sitcom of uh, Abbott and Costello with uh, when they mentioned uh, who's on first. But Ab- uh, okay, Abbott and Costello. Okay, you know I do hear know, the, uh, who's on first references a lot. That's true. And then the Stooges with uh, Niagara Falls. But um, you know, I think that guy with all in the family hit it right on the head. Uh, as do I, Frank. Thank you. Chris in Mount Vernon, hello. Hey, I, I was thinking, well, now you, I, I don't know if it's like, that. you know, you have to watch it, but Gilligan's Island I was throwing out there. Well, you know, honestly, I think you do have to have seen Gilligan's Island. I think if you don't understand uh, references when someone makes them to Ginger or Marianne or a three-hour tour, I think you're going to be out of luck. Uh, so I would agree with you on uh, on Gilligan's Island. Howard in Elmhurst, what do you think? One of my favorites and one of my greatest lessons was uh, Bilko. He taught, he, well, you don't have to, he showed us you don't have to be a cro- exactly a crook, but one of the other lessons was you can have fun in life, no matter how tough the situation is. If you're independent and, you know, you have guts to do things that nobody else would do. Yeah, I, I think Sergeant Bilko was a show, the Phil Silver show. That's a show that people really enjoyed. I'll be honest with you, I've only seen a handful of episodes of it, and I feel like my life has not been diminished at all by it. Another show, and I got this from Gary Korb, who's going to join us in about five minutes, he pointed out, I think he's right about this, MASH. MASH is a show 
you have to have seen at least a few episodes to know who the characters are. If you're in the workplace and somebody brings you a document to sign and they or you bring somebody a document to sign and you say, you know, they say to you, I didn't just sign for a stolen Jeep. Did I radar? Now, you need to know where that's from. I don't think the same is true for Sergeant Bilko. I don't think the same is true for the little rascals. 800-848-9222. And you know what? We've focused on a lot of comedies. A show that I think redefined drama on television. And look, there's a lot of great dramas in the history of television. You got uh, Hill Street Blues. You got all the Law and Order shows. I don't think you need to see them. There's one that I do think you need to at least understand the references to. Get off the phone. I gotta go. What's up? It's Jimmy. It's Jimmy. What? The wire. It's Jimmy. What are you talking about? The wire. You understand the wire? It's Jimmy. No fingerprint technique. I should have killed him right in my basement. Mackenzie and Sky got his facts crossed. They both got busted at the same time. Jimmy and Pussy. You understand? The Sopranos. That, I think, has permeated the culture enough. And it keeps rediscovering new generations of fans that I think that fits the bill. 800-848-WABC. Tony is in Newburgh. Hello, Tony. Hi, Frank. Hi. How are you? I'm great, Tony. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm well, thank you. Great. Um, how about Little House on the Prairie? Loved it. it was so wholesome. It was wholesome, but I'll be honest. I don't think I hear a lot of references to Little House on the Rare on the Prairie of Little House on the Prairie on a daily basis. So I mean, I think maybe oh, okay. I think you could almost make the case. Speaking of Michael Landon, that Bonanza would be more required viewing than Little House on the Prairie was. I mean, I don't hear anybody mention Little House on the Prairie. Rarely. I mean, I don't go a week without hearing somebody make a Gilligan's Island reference. But I don't think the same is true for Little House on the Prairie. And again, nothing against any of these shows. They say the greatest show of all time is The Wire. I've never seen The Wire. It's on my list, but... um. You know, Veep is great. Curb Your Enthusiasm is great. House of Cards is great. These are all great shows. But I'm talking about not great shows. I'm talking about the alphabet. You need to know the alphabet in order to read. You need to know how to read to function in society. You need to know that Noah had an ark, right? What is the television equivalent of Noah having an ark? Hannah in the Bronx. Hello. Hello. Hello, Hi. Hannah. Hi. How you doing? Great. Hi. Love you too. Thank you. Love you too. Wonderful. Okay. Have a show. Ready? Ready. The Twilight Zone. You know, Hannah, that's a great one, and that should have been the first one that I yes. that I, that I mentioned. But yeah, that's a good one. You got to, you know, somebody says submitted for your approval. You got to know where that's coming from. Let's do two more here, and then I want to do the thousand dollar minute and get to Gary Corb. Chris is in Queens. Hello, Chris. I say cheers because whenever you go someplace and you're regular, someone says, oh, he's like Norm. Norm, cheers. you're right. You're right. That's a good reference. That, that is a good one. And I am forcing my wife to watch Cheers now for that very reason. 
because I was concerned that she, there were a lot of references that she wasn't necessarily getting. Um, David in the Bronx has been holding a while. Let me give him an opportunity to be heard. Hello, David. Hey, good evening. Uh, most of the ones I had were already used, but I will say Perry Mason because I think oh. that was the biggest legal show ever. You know, I think you might be right about that. And you know what? That's one of those shows where the theme song alone, I think you need to know how to identify it, right? You need to know that that's Perry Mason. You need to know that what that evokes. I think that might, I think that's a good one. Hey, um, we're going to do, we're going to put a pin in this one, put a pin in this subject, and we're going to talk cigars. But first, if you are the seventh caller right now, to 1-800-848-WABC, we're going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions. I don't think any of them have to do with television. No, they don't. 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and if you could do that, you're going to win $1,000. So be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. Gary Korb of CigarAdvisor.com joins me straight ahead. In a cavern down by a canyon, excavating for a mine, lived a miner from North Carolina and his daughter, sweet Clementine. Now every morning. The great Bobby Darren, simply nobody, nobody like Bobby Darren. An incredible, incredible performer. Hey, a couple of shows uh, that I just want to mention before we move on here. Um, A bunch of people have said The Honeymooners, and I agree with that. You know, you go up to somebody and they say, you know, pow, zoom, Right to the right to the moon, Alice. That's one. And uh, our our owner, John Katsimatidis, uh sends in a good one, which I got to say, I'm surprised no one else mentioned the Andy Griffith show, right? Because if somebody starts whistling that tune, you have to know that's from Andy Griffith. And if somebody makes a Barney Fife reference, you have to know what it means. So that's a good one. I think so. All right. Without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Uh, my mom also said Hogan's Heroes, which is a good one, too. That's a good one. Let me say hello to Steve in New Jersey. Hello, Steve. Hey, Frank. Good morning. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for participating in the thousand dollar minute. You're doing well. Thank you. All right. Um, now, um, you're familiar with the contest, I assume. Yeah. Yes, I am. Okay. Yes, I am. Great. So we're gonna we'll we'll be we'll be quick here. You get a, a question correct. We're just moving on to the next one. You're gonna have sixty seconds. No skipping. And then if you get them right, where you'll in a minute you'll be a thousand dollars richer. You ready to go? 
Let's go. What does a green traffic light mean? Go. What holiday took place on Monday? Memorial Day. How many branches of the federal government are there? Three. What is the most popular religion in India? Buddhism. Ah, no, sorry. Uh, Over 70% of India is Hindu, Steve, Hindu. Hindu, oh, man. I'm sorry. But I'm going to put you on hold, Steve. We're going to give you a consolation prize, which you can hopefully wear with pride and uh, have some great fun this summer wearing it. Uh, If you would, uh, Avery, please take Steve's information. By the way, thank you to Avery for pitching in as Philippe is uh, on loan to the morning show this week. So thank you to Alex Barnard as well. And uh, he's doing a great job pitching and helping us out as we try to mind the Philippe gap. Without further ado, uh, a gentleman who is the one of the greatest cigar experts I've ever spoken to is Gary Korb. He's the executive editor for CigarAdvisor.com. Also sent a couple of cigars my way recently, which um, which were really terrific. I smoked. Uh, I think I smoked two. This weekend. And uh, Gary, it is, first of all, thank you for those. It's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on International Cigar Day. Well, my pleasure, Frank, and it's great to be back on your show again. Thanks so much for having me. Well, no, it's great. It's great to have you. I have to be honest. I didn't even know that there was an International Cigar Day before I got to know you, Gary. So now I get to fully I get to fully appreciate and celebrate all these holidays. You know, I'm like uh, our owner, John Katsimatidis. If there's a holiday, whatever religion, whatever ethnicity, I'm all about celebrating it, whatever it is. I did. Hey, so for folks that have not heard us before, Gary, what is Cigar Advisor exactly? Cigar Advisor magazine is the number one resource for anything and everything about premium cigars. If you want to know about how to smoke your cigar, how to ash your cigar, I have an article right now called How to Ash Your Cigar. Um, there's another article, you know, June is a big June is a big month for weddings. So there's an article by uh, one of our very talented writers, Paul Lukens, on the 10 top wedding cigars. Uh, so anything that has to do with, you know, if you have any questions you possibly have about premium cigars are probably going to be answered on Cigar Advisor and also our YouTube channel, which has tons and tons of videos on just about everything cigars. So, you know, you, you mentioned uh, ashing your cigar. I think that's something yeah. a lot of people haven't necessarily thought of uh, a great deal, myself included. I feel like there are sort of two schools of thoughts when thought mm-hmm. when it comes to ashing. One is that you should allow the ash of your cigar to go as long as possible without flicking it, and the other mm-hmm. is that there's just that's an accident waiting to happen, and then you should flick your cigar ash into the ashtray as quickly as possible. What is the proper etiquette? Just out of curiosity. Well, it's not so much an etiquette thing. It's just a matter of, you know, sometimes it's mostly just common sense. I mean, um, most a, a good, a well-made cigar will produce, should produce a pretty firm ash. And they'll usually, most cigars will start to ash, so to speak. You know, the ash will start to go, uh, to come to gravity, as I call it, uh, usually at about three quarters of an inch. Uh, sometimes it's a, it'll be a half inch, but at three quarters of an inch or so to an inch, you can, 
just gently tap the cigar off into the ashtray. Now, there are people who like to see the ash get as long as possible. I do that sometimes. You know, we used to have a thing where people would uh, send us in pictures of their extremely long cigar ashes, and that was that was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, but I also talk about the different shapes of ashes and the uh, what makes the ash gray, things like that. It has to do with the uh, number of uh, number amount of magnesium in the soil, things like that. So a lot of your your ash, it's not just an ash. There's a lot more to it than Hmm. just being this gray matter, you know? (laughs) Now, uh, today is International Cigar Day. What is that? What are people supposed to do on International Cigar Day except maybe smoke a cigar? Well, well, okay. Well, here's really the deal. It started in 2018. It was... founded, I guess you could say, by Cigar Rights of America, which is a very active group that pr- tries to protect, protect the rights of cigar smokers like you and I, uh, and the Cigar Rights of Europe. They, they both de- uh, proclaimed on uh, in 2018 that May 31st would be International Enjoy a Cigar Day. And it was created to draw attention to cigars being a luxury product and, and also a natural product, unlike cigarettes, which you know, and they felt that uh, it should be assigned a world heritage status. Um, so, anyway, here's some of the things that you know they really um, want to draw your attention to. That the cigar, as I said, is a luxury product by used by adults. Okay, and it's more uh, it should be more of an indulgence than a habit. Uh, each premium cigar is a natural product. Uh, that uh, the enjoyment of cigars and I, I, cigars, I think you can relate to this can contribute to your personal well-being and uh, moments of uh, contemplation, mm. meeting other cigar smokers, the fellowship aspect of yeah. it. So there's a whole lot going on. So it's just trying to – it's just a way of stopping and saying, hey, you know, there's more to this thing than just something you light up and it burns and maybe it tastes good, you know, whatever. Now, uh, Gary, um, I really enjoyed uh, the cigars that that you sent me. Uh, what, what, are, what, what are those cigars that you sent me? They were, They were quite good. Well, they should be. They were uh, made by – it was an Arturo Fuente six-cigar sampler, and uh, they just can do no wrong. Mm. Uh, they're one of the few. Uh, there are others too, but Arturo Fuente is probably the most popular premium cigar brand. I mean, it's, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, what, what are things that – you know, in culture that define, you know, the things that are classic. And Arturo Fuente cigars certainly are as about as classic as it gets. So um, – you know, I, which one did you have? Uh, what, what, I, I had you know. several. I have several. I don't know uh, wh- which one is which, but I, I've yeah, had several. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple of good ones in there. I think there's a Don Carlos in there, which is one of my favorites. It's dark. And, yes, and, I, I did smoke ones, that but, one, and that was uh, yeah. that one didn't disappoint. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, yeah. we have Father's Day coming up, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of wives might be listening to us right now and want to buy some cigars for the their husbands. A lot of uh, younger people may want to buy cigars for their father, their godfather, their grandfather, but maybe they're right. not a cigar smoker and they're not necessarily up on what the gift recipient for Father's Day or for whatever other holiday it really likes in a cigar and they want to surprise him or her for that mm. matter, but they want to surprise him with a, a nice box of cigars. Where do you guide someone if they don't know what kind of cigars to get for someone for something like Father's Day? What do you tell them? Hmm. Well, first of all, I try to say 
um, you know, do you know anything about what the person smokes? You know, uh, you know, if they, pro- if they don't, which I guess is your question, I guess the safe bet is, well, the Arturo Fuente sampler. Mm-hmm. Is excellent. Mm-hmm. Anything by Arturo Fuente, uh, especially in the main line, you know, because those are more like in the medium body range. I would say, you know, to play it safe, get them something that's like in the medium body range. Uh, Perdomo cigars are excellent. They make a lot of their cigars are in the medium body range. A lot of them are also full, uh, but uh, you also can't uh, lose with um, cigars, say, from Oliva is one. They make a very excellent cigar. J.C. Newman is another one. Uh, they are also based down in Tampa with um, Arturo Fuente. That's, that's their, uh, Amer- you know, their Florida headquarters. Um, most, I'd say those are okay. No, that's Patel good. Make some phenomenal cigars. You know, mostly in the medium body range. No, those those are, can't go wrong with any of those. Hey, uh, yeah. if, for people that do enjoy smoking a cigar, one of the questions I've gotten on the radio, and I think we've talked about this previously is what is the best beverage of choice to enjoy a cigar with? I feel like the conventional wisdom always has you um, consuming something brown, a con- cognac or a whiskey, never something like a, a white wine uh, or something of that nature. In your view, what is the best drink to consume? What complements a cigar? Well, you know, the most popular one is bourbon. Okay. And of course, there's so many varieties of bourbon and rye is another one that's related to bourbon. Um, I, I like, uh, you want me to uh, give you a name or just a type of way? Either, either, either one. Oh, all right. Well, I, I happen to like this uh, bourbon called Larceny. Uh, it's it's a little high in alcohol content, but it's really smooth. It's got some sweetness to it, and it's not expensive at all. Mm. Uh, so actually, a customer t- turned me on to it, and I I, ch- I tried it, and I said, wow, this is really good stuff. Uh, rum is also very good. That's like a natural, you know. I mean, if you're thinking like the, the Cuban thing, you know, um, rum is always got a dark rum, not you know not not necessarily you know the light rums. Uh, but a dark rum, like a sipping rum, uh, Flor de Caña, which is at a, a Nicaragua, if you can get it, phenomenal rum. Um, also, um, I like I like a rum called the Kraken. Believe it or not, it's kind of it's a spiced rum. You might like that too. I, I've tried that actually. I've never had it with a cigar, but uh, but yeah, that is. is an interesting that is an interesting drink. If people are just tuning in, it is International Cigar Day. We're talking with Gary Korb in light of the holiday. He's the executive editor for CigarAdvisor dot com. Whatever cigar questions you have, that's a a site that you're definitely going to want to turn to. Hey, speaking, you alluded to folks fighting for cigar smokers' rights a few minutes ago. Evidently, uh, the FDA is in the midst of banning flavored cigars. I guess the rationale behind this, and we've heard similar Mm -hmm. things with flavored cigarettes over the years, I guess the rationale behind this is they don't want children seeing a a cigar that's cherry-flavored or chocolate-flavored and getting in the habit of smoking tobacco. What's the matter with this decision by the FDA? Well... Here's the thing, you know, you know, the wheels of government, they they roll real slow, right? So last year in April, they announced that uh, they were going to ban flavored cigars uh, and menthol cigarettes, the FDA, right? 
So the reason being that, as you mentioned, they feel that a lot of these so-called flavored, well, they are flavored, flavored cigars uh, and particularly menthol cigarettes are are um, appealing to younger people, people who are not of age to produce uh, to purchase cigarettes, right, uh, or cigars for that matter. So uh, they want to ban uh, menthol cigarettes, which actually is kind of a separate issue, but. Um, the thing is, they 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 did they've done research on this, and people, uh, you know, persons under eighteen, they, they're really not cigar smokers. You know, I mean, a lot of these cigars, even some of the flavored ones or the infused ones, like say Acid, as uh, an infused brand, it's probably the biggest infused brand. Um, they, you know, they're they're not cheap cigars, right? You know? So unless you have expendable cash, at sixteen or something, but you know, so they're really they really want to protect uh, children, which is their main beef, you know. Um, but here's the thing, you know, like they, the FDA, once they put something out there, they have to allow comments for its plans from the public. So between now and uh, started in May, uh, up until July fifth, the FDA will have to come up with replies to all the comments that came in. That can take a lot, like a year. So all this, these bans wouldn't even start before 2024. I see. Sometime, you know, I see. So, you know, but, but here's the deal. You know, it's needed. They say it's needed due to underage use of the products. The agency cites like this 2020 National Youth Tobacco Survey said that 5% of high schoolers surveyed indicated they'd smoked a cigar in the past 30 days. Um, you know, but, but it's, it's, you know, I mean, you know how it is. Someone does their research, they do theirs, you know, they fight, you know, they, they argue. And, um, but I, I really don't think premium cigars, as you and I know, them, um, let's say separate from the infused stuff, are going to be, are, are smoked by the average teenager or someone who's underage. Uh, two final questions I want to get your take on before we sure. uh, run out of time. Talk with Gary Korb, okay. CigarAdvisor.com. One is uh, I am going to Hawaii on Thursday for my uh, brother's wedding, and my dad and I were discussing. Oh, thank you. My dad and I were discussing, because he smokes cigars as well, we were discussing oh, whether or not to bring cigars there or purchase them there. Do you have a, a suggestion on that front? And if we bring cigars, you know, that's mm-hmm. going to serve as presumably a broader range of people, what would you suggest we bring? What is a good wedding cigar? Okay. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, first of all, I would bring cigars. I wouldn't buy them in Hawaii. I don't. I, I would assume the prices are going to be higher in, in Hawaii. I mean, I think they're the highest where you work in New York. Um, they're outrageous. But um, I would bring, you know, I, I, I should have mentioned it before, like the Father's Day thing we're talking about, a, a, a sampler of or a box of Romeo and Julieta. Mm. Um, I, I personally like the, uh, you know, if you want, if you're, Bringing it for him, I would recommend the um, – I like the Romeo and Julieta uh, House, of, uh, House of Romeo, which is uh, – kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of full-bodied, but it's a wonderful cigar. And the other one – or even the, um, uh, the H. Upman, Connecticut, which I, I – um, I, I brought to uh, the NYEE last. Oh, last that was quite good. Um, uh, that was quite good. And I was good. glad that, to. That's something that everyone can enjoy. It's got some uh, little, you know, those are really nice. Those are made by the Grupo de Maestros yeah. down in um, Dominican. So, so or, or you know, a Macanudo Inspirado Orange is another good one. 
That's a kind of the new breed of Macanudo cigars. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm writing these down here. This is good. This is, no, these, this is good stuff. Last question, Gary, and I'll look forward to the next opportunity that we speak. I, I'm yeah. reading that, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the supply chain crisis and for, shortages in areas like baby formula and things like that. But I'm reading that Cuban cigar prices are going up. And that uh, that one day soon we could actually be seeing pl- American consumers paying a hundred dollars for a Cohiba cigar, which is sort of the most recognizable <laughs> brand of Cuban cigars. Right, yeah. What's driving the uptick in the price of Cuban cigars? I, uh, you know, I uh, to be honest with you, I don't really follow the Cuban cigar scenes too closely because I'm dealing mostly with the domestic product, but. You know, I know that I can say that um, they're probably just it's probably just a lot of things that, well, they just had um, I think it was in uh, Cuba. They had, you know, they had terrible weather sometimes. It's I sell crops that tends to, um, you know, have an effect on, you know, future cigars, things like that. Um, why they're why they're going to 100. I, I mean, I can't see spending even fifty dollars. For a, uh, a no, for me neither. I, I enjoy a Cohiba, but but Cuban. not for yeah, fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I mean, there are too many other cigars that are made in Dominican and Honduras, and especially Nicaragua, that just you know blow some of the Cubans out of the water. You know, Cubans are just now part of the whole you know group of premium cigars, and they're they're you know it kind of still looked at as like you know how French wine is looked at, you know, that kind of thing. Right. You know, they are special, but. They're not that special. No, fair enough. Gary Corb, com. Appreciate the time this morning. Enjoy International Cigar Day. What are you going to be smoking today? Jeez, you know, I am thinking about, you know what? Um, I, 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 may, I may take out this Padron All right. Presente that I bought um, a couple of weeks ago. Wonderful. That looks really good. Wonderful. All right. Uh, Gary, thanks so much for the time. You got it. Thank Appreciate you, Frank. It. Thank you. Uh, 800-848-WABC. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. You can be heard on any subject for 15 seconds straight ahead. WABC. Frank Marano. 77 WABC. My thanks to both Gary Korb and Anthony Weiner for joining me today. And I'm getting a lot of uh, interesting emails on this uh, extraterrestrial story of uh, that there might be four hostile species of extraterrestrials in our galaxy. And uh, a lot of people seem to buy this. A lot of people are skeptical. 
If you want to email me on that subject, you can do so, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. But before we get out of here, we want to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-WABC. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith. Samantha in Long Island City. Yes, Frank, how could you be shameful and say that your show's are superior? You know, Cat Patrol, uh, Pat Patrol is a good show that shows cats healthy people. Mark in New Haven. Frank, this is inspired by a best of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I heard on a Saturday afternoon. Guy goes to a bar, orders a Manhattan. Bartender puts it in front of him, usually served garnished with fruit. There's a big sprig of parsley in the middle. He says, what's that? He goes, Central Park. <laughs> Fred in Yonkers. Learn that poem. Learn that poem. High upon a daffodil. I couldn't hardly reach it. I had to get that daffodil and give it to my teacher. We want the flory dories. Cheech in Howard Beach. Good morning. Here's a Howard Beach greeting. How you doing? 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 Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Good luck for the New York Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And if you're listening, Sid, let's go Rangers. Eddie in Manhattan. Another essential TV show is Superman starring George Reeves. John in Suffolk County. Curtis is always a tough guy, issuing warnings. How about he takes his own warnings? He said not to say Happy Memorial Day, and then he posted on his Instagram. Is that right? I didn't know that. And finally, staying in Suffolk County, Jeff in Suffolk County. Hey, Mr. C, what's going on over there? First you hire a womanizer, now you got a pervert on board. Let's go. Get with the program. Get your morals together. Thank you. Something tells me... John knows exactly what he's doing. I wouldn't worry about that. All right. Uh, The WABC Early News with Deb Valentine is next. Then the Bernie and Sid show uh, from 6 until 10 with uh, Bo Deedle coming up at at 740 this morning. Should be interesting. I'll be back at 1 a.m. Until then, Frank Moreno, good day.